we're back with Monday Warfare. It's episode five, and happy December, everyone, and happy December, Steve. Yeah, man, same to you. Can't believe the year's almost over. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, been a fun ride this uh, second half of this year, just getting everything going, and uh, it's been a wild year all together with the uh, coronavirus and all that good stuff, too, but it's still been fun getting the grenade going and getting Monday Warfare here up and going, and in case you guys don't know by now, I'm your host, Ray Russell. Joining me once again, Steve Ekstat. We're here for Monday Warfare episode five, and we're already five shows into this one. I can't believe it. Yeah, this one's a little easier than the grenade, but man, five episodes already. Crazy. Yeah, and we're going to try to continue the two Nitro, two Raw format week to week, at least until Nitro goes to two hours, and we'll play it by ear there and see what we can do. But that's a ways off. We're talking mid-1996. And right now, this week on Monday Warfare, it's the October 30th edition of Nitro and Raw, followed by the November 6th edition. So, uh, yeah, we're a ways off. And uh, we're coming off of Halloween Havoc. And for you guys out there that haven't watched Halloween Havoc 95 in quite a while, me and Steve did a watch-along on the Patreon account, the all-access tier on our Patreon account. You can go over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia, sign up for the all-access tier, and listen to it, watch-along. That was a fun show, Steve. Yeah. On paper, it's not the greatest show, obviously, and, and delivery, it definitely wasn't. But I have fun doing it, and uh, everybody should go check it out. Yeah, sign maybe up for I, Patreon. Maybe I should have pointed that out. I didn't mean it was a fun show because it was a great show. I mean, we had fun <laughs> with this show. And there were some good things on there, like Johnny B. Bad and DDP and the quick matches with Hawk and Kurosawa, JL and Sabu. But then there were things like the Yeti, which, you know, I'm sure we'll get to here again real soon. Absolutely. But without further delay, let's get going this week. It's uh, December. So, hey, man, Christmas is right around the corner. I'm trying to come up with some good ideas. And Steve, I want you to keep bouncing ideas off me too for some watch-alongs and some other fun things here for the month of December for the fans of Russellcopia. And for right now, though, we're going to get into Monday Warfare. That's what everybody's here for. So we're kicking things off this week. We're back to Nitro going up first. And we're doing that mainly because we're coming off of the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view. And that's fresh in our mind too. So it's going to be real fun uh, dissecting this show based on just coming right out of the pay-per-view. And it's Monday Nitro for October 30th, 1995. They're in Dayton, Ohio at the Hera Arena which is probably right about where the Sheik ended his territory. Started up there in Michigan, where we were last night for Halloween Havoc in Detroit. We're down here in, in the middle of Ohio at Dayton. And the show here draws 3,500 fans, uh, about 2,500 paid. So even though it's not a lot of fans per se in general, I mean, that's a, it's not a large arena. It's not the Nutter Center. This is the Hera Arena. You're not going to draw 10,000 people here. But 2,500 paid fairly respectable given that there's only 3,500 fans in attendance. So you, they got more than two-thirds paid here anyway. We kick things off, obviously, with footage from Halloween Havoc, but no, we don't. And I can't wait to get your response to this. Uh, Eric Bischoff claims that the footage from Halloween Havoc has not made it here to Dayton, Ohio yet. They don't have footage of the pay-per-view that just aired last night. It's not in their production truck, apparently. So they can't tell us anything that happened last night at this point. What did you think of this? Uh, this is utterly ridiculous. Even for 1995 standards, like, I, I get it. You want to, I, I understand, you don't want to go straight to the footage, so you probably feel like you need to address it, the elephant in the room. But you got to make, a, <laughs> you got to try to get your fans to be awfully, you know, pretty damn stupid to realize <laughs> how dumb this sounds. Yeah, I'm not calling you anybody stupid. You just have, if you want to dumb down and, you know, I'm just going to suspend my belief and it's wrestling, I'm going to enjoy it the way they want me to enjoy it. Uh, this is kind of a slap in the face. Like you're telling me the production crew, which is probably the same one that was at Halloween Havoc that came to do Nitro, you're not going to bring like a second or a third production team to do a, a weekly live show. So that's 
one, that's right there. And then two, you're telling me you just leave the tape in Michigan and <laughs> yeah. you got to FedEx it overnight or same day. Or, I mean, I, this is just stupid. And, and it gets even dumber later because they show photos still. Oh, so yeah. somebody has the and, footage and, to take pictures from it. And I have a bigger gripe than that. And I have a bigger gripe than that oh. later in the show as well, before we ever even get to the footage. And I'll get to that when we get there in the show. But man, I have something to bitch about when, when we get there. And for anybody who's like, doesn't know their geography very well, Michigan's right on top of Ohio, right? So we're talking, I don't know, uh, tops four, five hour drive, maybe from Detroit to Dayton. I'm not really sure, but I mean, they clearly came down from one state to the next to put on the show the very next day for me to believe that that the tape hasn't arrived, but all the production has arrived. All the wrestlers have arrived. (laughs) Who the hell's bringing this tape is what I want to know. Um, we'll get to that later, later oh, shit, on. We forgot it, guys. <laughs> we got to, we got to run back to, yeah, we got to run back all the way back up there to Detroit to go grab the tape. And, and as the show gets going before we even get to the matches, there's lots of replacements here tonight. Lots of, uh, the car getting moved around from what they advertise to the local fans. And I understand based on, uh, not just the observer, but actually another newsletter I have as well here that some of the locals were not happy with uh, the matches they were promised versus the matches they received. And some of them you couldn't avoid. Some of them you, you could have maybe switched some other things around and made this a little bit better of a card. We do learn that Randy Savage isn't working here tonight, which I don't care what his deal was. That was a good call. Good call by Randy Savage or WCW management or whoever made that call. Uh, Macho Man has no business in the ring right now. He needs to let that arm rehab, even if it's just for a week. He needs to get out of the ring. So I'm in 100% support of Macho Man not being on this show. Same here. Uh, he's looked like trash the last couple times out. So I think he realized that he was trying to get to the pay-per-view and get past it. And uh, so kudos to him for doing that. I mean, he's a pro's pro. He's not going to let anything like that slip through the cracks. But he absolutely deserves two or three weeks off with how bad that arm is just dangling out there. So here's some of the matches that were originally scheduled for this episode of Nitro. They got flipped around. We know Brian Pillman was supposed to wrestle Alex Wright. That, that match was canceled because Wright's got a bum leg. Also, Ric Flair was scheduled to wrestle here on the show, but he's injured too. He's got that rotator cuff injury, which is why he didn't work havoc also. And then we have uh, Sabu, who was originally scheduled to wrestle Eddie Guerrero here on the show this week. But instead of that amazing contest, we wind up with Sabu taking on Disco Inferno in that matchup. And it's unfortunate because Eddie Guerrero replaces Savage to take on Craig Pittman. It's Follow me here, guys. So Eddie replaces Macho Man which cancels out the Eddie Sabu match. So now Disco Inferno replaces Eddie in the match versus Sabu. It's uh, quite a musical chairs here of flip-flopping in this card. And uh, it's unfortunate because the original card sounded pretty cool. Yeah. By the end of this show, I'm wishing we had the original card because this wasn't their best effort. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I've got some notes at the end of this show. (laughs) You remember we talked a few weeks ago about when they showed Eddie Guerrero beat Jushin Liger on a random episode of Main Event to wrestle a random match with Dean Malenko and Nitro. Apparently, they did something similar here on this main event, the pre-show to Halloween Havoc, where the winner of a Craig Pittman VK Wall Street match was to determine who was going to wrestle Randy Savage here randomly tonight on Nitro. Well, thanks to the help of Jim Duggan, Pittman did get the win there. Uh, but Pittman won't be wrestling Randy Savage, as they pointed out, because Savage is injured and he's out at least this week. And uh, so replacing him is Eddie Guerrero. So we get Eddie Guerrero out there to kick off the show with Sergeant Craig Pitbull Pittman. I thought this match was pretty decent. Fun suplexes by Pittman. You know, 
people don't realize Pittman got his start in professional wrestling in his mid-30s. I think he's 36, maybe even 37 here. But he was an amateur wrestling champion in the Marines, a USA senior Greco-Roman championship winner. He won the heavyweight division. I think he worked in the heavyweight division there while he was in the Marines. And I thought this was a fun little TV match. It didn't go super long, but went long enough. And Eddie counters a hip toss into a rolling victory cradle at the end to get the win in five and a half minutes. What did you think of this one? Uh, I thought Pittman, after the initial run, looked like crap. I wasn't a fan of this match. It just didn't click. It was pretty sloppy. And I just wasn't a huge fan of it. It was kind of just there, like the rest of the show. Okay. Yeah, I didn't mind it. I thought Pittman did some great throws, some great suplexes during this match. Obviously, he doesn't fit the style of Eddie Guerrero, but I thought this was much better than a a Savage Pittman match. I thought Pittman was made to look a little better here in this loss than he might have looked against Randy Savage. So I didn't mind this one too much. I was okay with that being on the show. Unfortunately, it didn't really pick up from there is the problem, I think. Yeah, it definitely did not. I think it was just a sign of things to come, to be honest with you. Show moves on, and we get the epic feud culminating here, or at least I hope it culminated, uh, between the Shark and Scott Flash Norton. We get a replay. We go all the way. Remember, this is October 30th here. We go all the way back to the second episode of Monday Nitro from September the 11th. And uh, if you remember way back when, Shark tried to run in on a Randy Savage-Scott Norton match, and he ended up colliding with Norton, falling on his legs. And for some reason, the referee allowed the match to continue while Savage dropped an elbow and pinned Norton while Shark was laying across the legs of Norton. And what, I don't know if it was a week, two weeks ago, we saw a brawl in the back out of nowhere between Norton and Shark, which finally leads to the big match we've been waiting for for at least six weeks now. And when I say that, I, I say that with as much sarcasm as I possibly can, Steve. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It was the week prior to this show, so okay. the 23rd episode of Night Show where they got in the brawl. It was right in the middle of a decent, I think it was Eddie Guerrero and was it Malenko? It was definitely, it was Eddie, and, yeah, Eddie and Guerrero. Yeah, because they didn't interrupt the uh, original Eddie and Bill Wan match, so it was probably Eddie and Malenko. Yeah, so they cut away from a damn good match to show us this garbage that everybody's already forgotten back from two months ago, so or a month ago. Yeah, I wish they had but, forgotten yeah. as well. I really wish they had forgotten as well. <laughs> I feel like Scott was walking around, he's buddies with Bischoff, you know, they know each other from Minnesota, and Scott kind of, hey, whatever happened to that push? <laughs> Who are you to tell Scott Norton no? So I'll, get you, I'll get you three minutes on TV, Scotty. No problem here. During this match, Bobby Heenan's left the broadcast booth, and uh, Eric Bischoff and Mongo quander, where the hell did Bobby Heenan go? We'll figure that out in a minute. Scott Norton looked pretty okay here, I thought, against you know John Tenta's shark character. Anyway, Norton comes off with a top rope shoulder block. Uh, Quake kind of staggers backwards into the, into the corner. almost falls. The, the corner saved him from taking a bump. Uh, I was impressed, Scott Norton. I wasn't surprised. But I was still impressed. It was cool to see. He seamlessly picked up Tenta, who I'm I know I'm sure he didn't sandbag Norton, but he just picked Tenta up with such ease when he gave him the big body slam here. So just huge, huge guy is Scott Norton. We wind up seeing where Bobby Heenan's went to. He's with an unknown Japanese client, or I'm not sure if you want to call him. You might recognize him as the future Sonny Ono, and they're dining at a table in the crowd. Bischoff ponders what the hell's going on there, and I can't wait to talk about that more at length here over the next few weeks. Uh, just absolutely makes no sense. But uh, Shark and Norton wind up on the floor. And thank God, you know, I'm glad they gave these guys the treatment that the uh, cruiserweights seem to get with the cutting away to show other things. They cut away from this terrible match to show Bobby Heenan eating with uh, Sonny Ono, or at least pretending to eat. And I'll mention that too in a minute. 
but they fall to the floor. These guys start fighting outside. It's a double count out, two minutes, 46 seconds. They fight their way down the aisle, all the way up the ramp over to the WCW sign, which Eric Bischoff repeatedly sells as solid steel, like they do the, the WWF ring steps where they pick them up and you can see that they're completely fucking hollow underneath. And as they're clanking into this sign, you can clearly, if you've ever heard hollow metal, that's what this sounds like. As Eric Bischoff continuously says, solid steel. It was what it was. They fought their way to the back and I hope we never have to see that ever, ever again. But as the match ends, we actually cut back to Bobby Heenan with Sonny Ono and he's basically selling WCW, the company, WCW, to Japan. And, and they actually pick up audio at the very wrong time. And I don't know if you if you paid attention to this or not, but the first thing out of Heenan's mouth when they pick up audio during the conversation is he's trying to sell Sonny Ono on Saturday night's main event. And I said, what did he just say? And he corrects himself. He goes, I'm sorry, uh, Sunday night is, is the main event. So <laughs> a little flub there by Bobby Heenan. And uh, Ono reaches in and hands him an envelope. I'm assuming that it, it had money inside of it. And I'm assuming that maybe there was a transaction there for Sonny Ono to think he was purchasing WCW. It makes you question how stupid Sonny Ono is. Maybe more Hiro Matsuda practice here. Another uh, not-so-good Japanese client uh, <laughs> here as part of WCW. He thinks he's buying WCW, or at least part of it, from Bobby Heenan, who has no ownership whatsoever. And I'm pretty sure everyone knew that except for Sonny Ono. And uh, I'm not going to go get into how ridiculous this is right now because there's so much more of this nonsense. But uh, what, what did you think of all of this? Uh, I didn't mind it, uh, to be honest with you. I just, I'm with you. Like, how dumb do you got to be? Like, who the hell is Bobby Heenan to <laughs> sell anything that is WCW related? <laughs> it's one of those things that it sounds good on paper. But it just the execution and delivery of it, it just again they're doing things that make you have to suspend your belief. Yeah, you're just and, and it's way it's just way too difficult to even do that. There's a couple things on here. I picked up on the Saturday Night's Main Event um, line. Heenan's reminiscent of the glory days uh, of him yes. and wrestling. <laughs> and also during the match, they show Heenan like talking to Sonny Ono, and Mago says, "What's he trying to do? Make a used car deal?" So the stereotypes, even in 95, are still there. And well, especially with Mongo. Just kinda, there's a couple times. Especially on these, with Mongo. Yeah, there's a couple times on these shows. And I don't mean to cut you off and let you finish your thoughts in a minute, but I don't want to forget to mention this to you. I caught a couple times where Mongo kind of almost said something, but he didn't. And Eric goes, oh, I almost had a heart attack there. Because <laughs> he, he just yeah, didn't he know. Says, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he just doesn't know what Mongo's going to say. It's kind of like that Rob Bartlett syndrome, although Mongo, you know, Rob Bartlett makes Mongo look like a rocket scientist with this professional wrestling stuff here. But even still, oh, yeah. it's like you're turning a dog loose on a show that's, you know, Mongo's never been involved in something like this before, and it's live. So things can go wrong really fast. That's I'm sure that's why they didn't give him a whole lot of heads up as to what was going to happen. I, I would have to imagine. I would hope that they didn't anyway. And as the segment closes, and I, I'm if you caught this, man, you're you're the man. In true Heenan fashion, the oh, last God. thing they show <laughs> is Bobby Heenan starting to eat a piece of sushi or something along those lines. And when Sonny turns his head, Heenan kind of discards, tosses away the sushi, and then pretends like he's chewing it when Sonny, Sonny turns back. And that just seemed like classic Bobby. It made me think of, like, primetime wrestling or something along those lines. Bobby Heenan maybe with Jameson oh, yeah. on that Bobby Heenan show or something goofy like that. Yeah, I definitely picked up on that. I think Mongo mentioned something about it, too. I think he was trying to laugh. He got a pop as far as Mongo goes. Yeah, definitely classic Heenan. Awesome yeah, that, stuff. that was that was cool. I did notice Mongo laugh. So Mongo was sitting there having a good time, too, with this segment. And uh, that'll continue to play out into, into Starcade. So uh, we'll touch on that some more over the next several weeks. 
promo time, and I have no idea where Mean Gene is. Maybe he's the one that had to go back to Detroit to get the footage. Because Mean Gene is not on this episode. And it's Tony Schiavone replacing Mean Gene in the ring as he interviews the new horseman. It's Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and Brian Pillman. Only three so far. So Mean Gene's either grabbing that tape or it's one of those famous Mean Gene hangovers. I'm not sure which one. I'll let you guys draw your own conclusions. There's no footage, remember, because nobody's here with the videotape yet. But somehow for this match, there are video stills. There's pictures. So we see pictures of Ric Flair turning on Sting and the horseman beating down Sting. Brian Pillman says they're not a gang. They're a dynasty. Arn Anderson says everyone continuously asks him when the horsemen will be reformed and tells everyone to be careful what they wish for. They might just get it, which they have now. Arn makes sure to sell Sting. He gives Sting credit, puts him over for fighting against two-on-one and then eventually three-on-one here at Halloween Havoc. Arn says that there's three horsemen right now, and soon there will be a fourth. And during this Arn Anderson part of the promo, we have Flair and Pillman mocking comedy routine of Pillman pretending to be Sting, reaching for the tag, and, and Flair screwing him over. And Flair closes the segment, warning Sting if he doesn't like what they did to him yesterday, they will be on Nitro next week, and Sting's welcome to show up and see what he can do against the Horsemen. What did you think of the promo? It was pretty good. Uh, I really liked Arn Anderson's part, of course. He says a lot of the same stuff, a lot, but uh, he like the cramp in the hand and, and, and things like that, but it never disappoints. Uh, he's so serious, and this comes across really excellent. I, I think it looked kind of weird when they were mocking the tag. It didn't. It doesn't seem like Flair is too high on Pillman being there. Maybe I'm just reading more into it, but it just didn't look like he was enjoying himself out there, so to speak, uh, like Flair usually does. But other than that, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I think Flair would have had to have given the okay uh, before whomever was welcome to the Horseman was, was written into the Horseman. I also don't remember Flair having any issues with Pillman when they were working together, you know, the first go-around before he went to the WWF. But, yeah, you, you could be right. I didn't really read that into there. I did feel like maybe Pillman was uh, ad-libbing out there and Flair kind of just didn't want to really play along, maybe. That might have been an issue, too. Yeah, I, I think that's know. what it was. That's what it more like. I think it was just more this segment. I don't know if it was necessarily him being in the ring or being in the horseman with them. It just it didn't look like Flair wanted to play, mess around too much. It just came off a serious angle, and Pillman's out there being Pillman. So right, uh, that, I, that could definitely be it. This week on WCW Saturday Night, it's Chris Benoit taking on Alex Wright, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair team up. Wow, that was fast. Taking on Cobra and the Renegade. That should be a barn burner. And tag team champions Harlem Heat meet the Blue Bloods. That's another interesting one. And it's back to the ring. There it is. Uh, he's wrestling this week. Steve, it's your favorite. It's your favorite. It's Disco Fever. It's Disco Inferno taking on. If this isn't a mismatch, I don't know what it is. We've got Disco Inferno in the ring getting ready to take on Sabu. Tell me that's not a contrast of style. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, still not buying Disco, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I, don't, I don't buy him as a, a wrestler here, not in a match like this. He certainly couldn't hold his own in a, a Sabu-style match or things of that nature. It was a quick, easy match, though. Certainly a contrast, but I thought they hit it because it went pretty fast. I know it's Disco, but it's still cool seeing all these new young uh, indie talent being given time and opportunity here on Nitro. That's something that I was kind of surprised with at the time because there's so many of the older stars and the, the stars that have already basically solidified their names. Some of these tag teams and things aren't really getting shots here on Nitro, but I can't complain because we're getting a, a lot of Eddie Guerrero, Malenko, 
even Benoit, Sabu's been here, uh, at least uh, up until now. But yeah, I know Disco Inferno's on the low end of that list, but it's just cool seeing a lot of young indie guys giving a shot here, is basically my point. Disco winds up missing a terrible charge in the corner. It looked awful. Slow motion. And then takes a staggering, shitty bump down for Sabu to land a somersault leg drop and score the win. Match barely goes two and a half minutes. Sabu gets the win. Post-match, Sabu with a slingshot seated senton to the floor on Disco. Looked like he was trying to go for a slingshot into a Hurricane Rana to the floor, but Disco completely out of position, and Sabu just kind of lands on top of the back of his head. And if that wasn't enough, (laughs) this is great. As Disco's trying to leave, Sabu's in the aisle with the table and just launches the table at Disco's head, throws it right right into Disco Inferno. (laughs) No care at all. And places Disco on the table. Sabu goes to the top rope, or goes to the ropes, to try to put Disco through the table. But Disco winds up moving, and Sabu with a somersault senton onto the table, which doesn't break. Classic Sabu here. Unfortunately, this was also Sabu's final appearance in WCW. Yeah, it was a quick, fun match. I mean, they, they worked really fast, and it didn't have time to suck or expose anyone. The aftermath stuff, I definitely put down that. It looked like he was going for that hurricanrana, and Disco was out of position there. So Disco ate that one. The table spot was cool. Definitely wasn't gimmicked. <laughs> that table wasn't gimmicked. So uh, it just kind of had no give. It seemed like it barely even broke with Sabu landing on it. So um, this is probably the best segment of the, of the show for me. Of course, Sabu winds up back in ECW here in a matter of, I don't know, a week, two weeks, something like that. He, he returns at the November to remember. Uh, but he's gone from WCW here. And rumor would have it for many, many years that Sabu was fired by Eric Bischoff. I'm, I'm assuming Dave Meltzer created those rumors because they were pretty much taken as fact. But uh, in recent years, Eric Bischoff's come out in public on on his podcast and stated that Sabu was not fired. He did not fire Sabu from WCW. So there you have it. Believe who you want. I tend to believe Bischoff because as much as uh, full of shit as he can be about himself, he really doesn't lie a whole lot in regards to talent and firing. And he's pretty blunt and honest, even if it makes him him look bad. And I don't see him lying about Sabu, uh, (laughs) if anyone. So, uh, yeah, yeah that's why just... they, like, who, the, who the hell is Sabu? Why would you lie about him? <laughs> like, who cares? If you right. fired him, you fired him. If you didn't, you didn't. Like, nobody cares. Yeah, this isn't that. like, it, yeah, it wasn't like it was a rumor on Hogan or even a Savage or things like that. He's been very open and honest about his issues with Steve Austin. So I certainly don't see him, uh, you know, yeah, pull, thing, pulling punches here on Sabu, one. of all things. And no disrespect to Sabu, one. but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree with you, I man. definitely didn't fire him. I didn't fire him. No way. He just quit. Yeah, okay, Bischoff. I can see that. But I, Sabu, I mean, he's just an underneath guy, and he fit better in ECW anyway. So, yeah, again, no no disrespect to Sabu. I love Sabu, but that's the wrong guy to lie about. Yeah, and we'll be we'll end up with Sabu light here pretty shortly anyway with Public Enemy coming in. Uh, also, during the previous match, it was announced that the following week's show would be uh, a 900-number vote line where you can vote for the main event and the original names announced for the locker rooms that you can vote. I remember they used to do this on Saturday night from time to time. It seemed like a big deal, but they never really was a large group of guys worth voting for. They almost kind of, it's like, uh, you know, you get one main eventer and then a bunch of undercard guys. It's like, Hmm, I wonder. And it's usually two guys that are going to, are in a feud. And this is no different here in the red locker room. We'll have big Bubba, Scott Norton, uh, shark. So we have Norton and shark in the same locker room. The Blue Bloods, yeah, of course. The Blue Bloods, Regal and Eaton, Ming, DDP, and Ric Flair. Now, (laughs) one of these things is not like the other. 
you know, you tell me who's going to going to get voted in the heel here. And in the blue locker room, it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Johnny B. Bad, pretty decent name there. Uh, the Nasty Boys, supposedly Randy Savage, who will not actually be a part of this. So I guess you could argue that maybe Savage could have been picked here, but he's not even going to be here next week to be chosen. And then Sting. Uh, so Sting on one locker room, Flair on the other. We just had these issues at Halloween Havoc. The horsemen were just in the ring calling Sting out. You tell me if they're not trying to tell you who to vote for. Kids, 99 cents per minute to vote. How many minutes does it take to vote? I can hear them reading these names off as slow as humanly possible on the recorder. You're probably not wrong. Oh. These 900 gimmicks are so terrible. Oh, my God. And it gets even worse on this episode of Raw, too. Trust me. And it's our main event already, and I can't believe I'm calling this our main event. It's the newly turned Lex Luger teaming with the man he's already kind of, I won't say feuded with him, but he's wrestled a couple of times in the last few weeks, Ming. So it's Luger and Ming, accompanied by both Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart, to take on those American males. And it's uh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, or maybe it's just Marcus Bagwell by this point. I don't really know. And Scotty Riggs, who who at one point had wrestled as Scott Studd underneath and did some jobs in the WWF and WCW and also had a run as Scott Studd in the uh, USWA. I didn't mind him as Scott Studd. Here's Scotty Riggs. I wasn't really a big fan, at least not at this point in his career anyway. And as soon as the match starts, they go to a commercial. They literally ring the bell, we get to get into the action, and they take a break. Not that I'm complaining. I thought that was well booked. I, I, was, I was very appreciative of this. That was like two, three minutes less we had to see Lex Luger in the ring. I was cool with that. What surprised me was when we returned from break. And I don't know if you really paid this close enough attention, but did you notice how silent the crowd was? The crowd was almost dead. And I I get when you look at it on paper, well, it was Luger and Ming taking on the American males. Why wouldn't the crowd be dead? My only thing is here is Luger and Jimmy Hart had just turned the night before and there's just no heat here for him. And that's just, that tells the tale, I think. Yeah, I mean, this match was terrible, and the the crowd just didn't care. It almost makes you wonder if they even watched Halloween Havoc. They had no idea why Luger's coming out with Ming or why Jimmy Hart's worth Luger. This was garbage. Thank you. This was my point at the beginning of the episode. This fucking positioning of this match made absolutely no fucking sense to me. You wait all show putting over this stupid video that hasn't arrived yet with fucking Giant and Hogan, which involved the Jimmy Hart heel turn, which involved the Lex Luger heel turn, but you can't talk about it yet because the video's not there, but then you put them out here as heels before you show the video that you can't talk about. So you're alluding that people don't know what the hell just happened, but you're still fucking showing them shit before you tell them what happened. Why would you do this? Why wouldn't you show the video before this match so that everyone understands what the hell's going on? Yeah, get some heat on these guys. They're not helping them out at all. Uh, they're just making them like, like, like you said, it's silent. It really is. And it's for, poor. It's poor formatting. It's like you know, the, after, after the after the Hogan and Andre bullshit at the you know the old main event where they they didn't want to talk about it until they had the footage that they could get it on T or get clear, clear the footage to be aired on on TV or whatever. So they're not going to talk about it. Okay, could you imagine if they had went and told you everything that happened before they showed you the video or or. or or, you know, we saw the twin referees before we saw the video that explained that there are twin referees. It would boggle your mind. You wouldn't even know what the hell's going on. Yeah. And this is, this yeah. is inexcusable. This is 1995. This is not 1988. They should, they're live. It's your footage. It's your footage. It's pay-per-view. It ain't like you got to clear it with anybody else. It's yours. Do whatever the hell you want with it. It's just, all you had to do uh, is show the video footage one segment sooner. 
so that all of this makes sense. Because the entire mm-hmm. point of not showing the footage was so that they could build it up to the end of the show so you'll stick around and watch the footage before you see some of the guys involved in, in the actual situation. And the biggest part of the match, because there was no title change at this point, the match ended in a disqualification. So the biggest part of the match is Jimmy Hart turned on Hulk Hogan. And to further that, Lex Luger turned. And then somehow mm-hmm. we see this before we see the video. I just, so then they have to explain what happened here, even though they said they weren't going to explain it until we saw the fucking video. Just terrible. The match didn't help any. No, (laughs) no. I don't know. There where Scotty Riggs stopped running on an Irish whip. Yeah. And it was like an ugly, ugly backdrop. I don't even know what that was. After Luger just hit the ropes, then he just stopped running. Yes. And so Luger kind of walked into it and I'm like, um, what in the hell is it? I was like saying Luger packed it in is an understatement. I wrote here in my notes, Riggs was off here. Luger was off here together. Oh my God. They were awful in the ring. And that backdrop you, you wrote about, uh, you know, I put in quotations after it, the word nice. And that was to remind me that after that move, that spot where Luger stopped kind of fell on top of the back of Riggs sideways. And it was almost like a, a Samoan drop backdrop, but I'm giving them too much credit because it didn't look that good. That might sound better than no. actually what it was. But both both Bobby Heenan and Eric Bischoff called the move nice. They're like, nice, yeah, nice move. I'm like, dude, yeah, you, sure. can't, you can't cover that. You can't no. cover that. One other thing, like um, at the beginning of this match, like when they're coming out to the ring, like Ming and Jimmy Hart, they're like trashing uh, Luger and Flair for what they did at um, Halloween Havoc, Bischoff and Mongo are. And Heenan, in his infinite wisdom, which is hilarious, this is just weird because you know what happens later on. But right, uh, that's he says that's just how things go. One day you'll be doing the same for Hogan and all these other guys. <laughs> it's like little did he know, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> they would be trusting him coming, you know, just what, a little less than a half a year away from that. So uh, he, it's funny he name dropped Hogan, but uh, yeah, he did. It's pretty cool. Uh, that's, that's probably the best part of this whole match was Heenan. He'll dropping that line. The rest of it was garbage. Yeah, the heels wind up getting heat on Riggs. They land a shit version of the Heart Foundation's heart attack maneuver. So they get heat on Riggs there. Riggs finally crawls through Lex's legs, gets the lukewarm tag to Marcus Bagwell, who comes in. Bagwell winds up doing a crossbody block to Luger, who catches him. Riggs comes in, drop kicks Bagwell on top, but the referee is distracted by Jimmy Hart. Ming winds up coming in the ring, breaks up the count. And I thought having Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart out here together was overkill. It was unnecessary to have two managers out here. So we already see Jimmy Hart running interference and Ming's coming in. So Kevin Sullivan's kind of out there for no reason, but I don't want to get too far away from this match. So Ming comes in, breaks up the count, winds up hitting the crescent kick on Riggs. Looked like he was going for the same on Bagwell, but Bagwell would never turn around. So Haku winds up just hitting him with a front leg round kick. And that lays Bagwell out. Luger picks him up. Torturat gets the win in nine, 10 minutes counting the commercials. So... Yeah, that was nine or ten minutes. I wish we could have gotten back here. Just terrible, terrible match. And that's your main event match. Trash. But they weren't depending on that being our main event because they thought this was going to sell the show. The footage has finally arrived. Wouldn't you know it, just in time for the final segment of the show, the footage arrives. We see clips of Giant versus Hogan from Halloween Havoc. We don't see him fall off the uh, top of the building and die or, or almost die. We do see the match, however, Jimmy Hart's turn, Lex Luger's turn, the disqualification, the Yeti coming in, and, and it's a mummy humping good time at that point. I think we close the segment, the, the video footage with Lex Luger racking Hulk Hogan. So it's like this new, I don't know, it's almost like the corporate ministry thing where like two different factions are kind of aligned together. It's really weird because 
Luger's with Jimmy Hart, but he's not really with the Dungeon of Doom. But we also have the Dungeon of Doom who's also with Jimmy Hart. So really weird scenario here, but that's our video footage from Halloween Havoc. That's what we've been waiting for this entire show. And they air it right after the Lex Luger match with Jimmy Hart in his corner. Again, makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, that's the summary of this show. It makes no sense. Really got nothing to say about the footage. If you want to hear what we have to say about all that, you can check us out on Patreon. Yeah. But Head on over to the Halloween Havoc yeah. Watch Along. <laughs> we talk about it in yeah. depth there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then after that, you got the little promo, and Giant says somebody's going to knock him off the hill. And, I mean, that was pretty much it. It was a very, very uneventful show. It almost makes you wonder if they know that post-pay-per-view shows get, like, a bump. And if I remember right from the, the point observer, three. he said they usually get, like, a point three bump. Right. Yeah. It's almost as if they know they're going to have the, the the audience, so they're just going to pack it in and do seems, their best to sell the next week's show. Seems to me that thought process is asked backwards. If, in fact, that's how they thought, this is where you have the extra eyes on your TV. This is where you want to give them even more, I would think, uh, in order to keep them coming back oh, I'm not. beyond the pay-per-view. Oh, I know you're, I, I know you're not. I'm just saying, I'm not that, saying that's, what, that's smart, but I can see both ways. That makes more sense. Like You know they're going to be here this week, so you might as well do everything you can to keep them. Absolutely. Whereas you can go the opposite and sell your following week show. So I guess it's, you could do both at the same time. If you put right, on a really good show with angles that goes the next week, right, you're going to come we, back. We've seen with the grenade in the NWA 1989, no matter how good your booking is, and no matter how good the stuff is on your TV, if the fans aren't already watching to begin with, you're, you can't really build that fan base back uh, very easily anyway. And so you figure this would be the week you really want to hit them and keep them. Man, that, that show was awesome this week. I'm going to tune back in next week. No, they don't do that here. And we end the show with this uh, bland promo, as you kind of pointed out already. It's Tony Schiavone back in the ring. And I was kind of mad there was no Yeti here because it would have been great if Tony had uh, tried to interview the Yeti. But uh, instead, it's uh, the giant Lex Luger who's still breaking. He's broken a sweat from his amazing tag team match, uh, along with Kevin Sullivan, Jimmy Hart. The giant's in the ring. He's wearing Hulk Hogan's world championship belt. But he's not the world champion, at least at this point, we presume he's not the world champion. Jimmy Hart says Hogan was warned by Sullivan. Evil was living in his house, and that evil was Jimmy Hart all along. So Jimmy Hart's been evil way back to when he saved Beefcake or, or, or wanted to help Beefcake back into the WWF early 93. So it's been almost, what, three years now that Jimmy Hart's been planning this, <laughs> coming to WCW and the Dungeon of Doom and, and, and all this stuff. So Jimmy Hart's uh, smarter than we ever gave him credit for. Lex Luger mocks both Hogan and Savage. Of course, he racked them both and got one over on Savage for sure and laid Hogan out with the torture rack just for fun at the end of Havoc as well. The Giant says uh, he'll defend the title next week on Monday Nitro against anyone, including Hulk Hogan. Tony Schiavone claims it's not your belt to do that, but are you really going to question the Giant? So he will be here next week. Who the hell is Tony Schiavone to tell the Giant what he is and isn't? Yeah, who <laughs> So the Giant says he will be here next week to defend the title. Let's see who steps up. I can't, can't wait to see who steps up there. And finally, Kevin Sullivan said he told Hulk Hogan, there's no friends. Uh, Hulk Hogan has no friends. Everyone that knows Hulk Hogan has their own agenda, as proven here with Jimmy Hart, with Lex Luger. And that's pretty much the end of the show. Just a very uneventful show. And coming off a of pay-per-view, maybe one of the most uneventful shows. It's like you couldn't book it any worse. Yeah, I agree 100%. Definitely uneventful and not very entertaining. You know, you kind of look forward to it because it is the post-pay-per-view show and they do get that bump, so they're going to try their hardest and they just came out with a just a pile of shit. That's the only way to put it. Yeah, there was no Hogan here, no Savage. I mean, for obvious reasons, but still, no Savage, no Sting. No Sting. There was, 
There was no top baby face. We had Flair here who turned on Sting, but Sting's not here to respond. We had Luger and Hart here who turned on Hogan, but Hogan's not here to respond. Savage isn't here to respond to, I told you so long. He's not here to do that. We don't get any of that. And instead, it's a heel-heavy show, and our main event match is, is Luger has just turned heel, and his biggest opponent to counteract that heel turn to push it a little further is the American Males. So, yeah, just a complete flop here. And you said you didn't enjoy Eddie Guerrero versus Pittman, and I thought it was okay for what it was. So I'm assuming you said your favorite match, you know, you really haven't much else to go by. I think you said the best part of the show is maybe Sabu and Disco Inferno, or did did I uh, misquote you? Yeah, uh, so my favorite segment of the show, um, if I could pick nothing, I would. Um, I I was like, nothing was good about this show, but I guess Sabu and Disco, because it was quick and exciting. While the rest of this show is shit. I just, it just felt like they just packed it in so they can get to this show the following week. I tried racking my brain here to come up with something and, and a good reason why I would choose a certain match, the Sabu and Disco match, which went like two and a half minutes. So it was very hard for me to choose that because it was just so short. Guerrero and Pittman, which I didn't mind, but again, it was really nothing. And then this closing promo, it was okay, but it was just there and it certainly wasn't a, a great payoff. I liken it to the Horseman promo. It was perfectly fine for what it was, but it was nothing special. It was very hard for me to pick something here. I don't know. Maybe I'll go Bobby Heenan having dinner with Sonny Ono and discarding the sushi. (laughs) It's hard. I'm going to cheat here. I I know you picked a segment, so I feel like I'm obligated to pick one. It's just very hard to do so. So I won't hold this up. I'll I'll probably pick the same thing as you. I guess I'm going to have to go Sabu and Disco. But again, two and a half minutes. It's, we're picking that because it was the shortest segment on the show, not because it was the greatest segment on the show. I mean, it's the most entertaining. That's what we yeah. keep on harping on each week is entertainment and seeing Disco get blasted in the face with the table. Like He seriously threw the table at his head when he was coming down the aisle. And then the table spot, yeah, which that, that, I guess, ever seen. Yeah, I guess that was a spot of the night. Uh, it wasn't a bad segment. It was, it, even the short, probably about five, six minutes total if you count everything, but yeah, I mean, that, that really was the best because it didn't have time to suck or it didn't suck initially like the rest of it. And now we move over to the USA Network and WWF Raw is taped for October 30th, 1995. We're still in Brandon, Manitoba the night after the In Your House pay-per-view was taped uh, October 23rd. And it's reported that Dean Douglas suffered a larynx injury from a Razor Ramon clothesline at the In Your House pay-per-view show and was coughing up blood after the match was out of action all week. It claims he's going to be out until at least November 10th. And based on what's been going on here with Dean Douglas lately, and then another injury that he seems to have later on this fall, are you buying this injury? Do you believe he's even injured here? I hate to call it into question, but it just seems like Shane does not want to be here. And I just, I can't put it past him to come up with a larynx injury after being screwed here by the click. Uh, I never really thought about it, but you're probably not wrong. Uh, he's ready to get the hell out. At least he hangs on, what, does, is he there? He's not in the Rumble, is he? No, through December. I think the in-your-house pay-per-view, when he doesn't wrestle again due to injury, Buddy Landell okay, yeah. replaces him. That yeah. might be the last time we see him, as far as I can remember. Okay, yeah, so he's trying to get it. At least he's going to get that Survivor Series payday before he heads out. Yeah, but I wouldn't put it past him either. I can't blame <laughs> him at all. And this is a special Halloween edition of Monday Night Raw, and I give him credit, they taped it in advance and still thought to, to dress up in costumes here and. Jerry Lawler is a doctor, and we'll get more into what kind of doctor he is later in the show, but Vince McMahon is a prisoner, and this was actually Vince sticking it to the government because he he beat the government in the courts and didn't wind up going to prison, so he wore this prisoner suit kind of as a way to stick it to the man, so to speak, 
And uh, I think there's even a joke later on where, where Lawler says, you've been, you've had that costume for quite a while. You've been waiting to wear it, have a reason to wear it or, or something along those lines. So I thought that was funny. Did you show like the opening video? Oh yes. I almost forgot. Todd Pettengill doing the count von count voiceover there. Von von batty bat. Ah, 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 do, do batty bats. Ah, ah, ah. Terrible job by Todd Pettengill. I didn't really like it. No. Did you, did you care for it? I didn't care for the accent. I thought the accent sucked, but right. just the word, the wordplay and the way he sold the matches. I'm assuming he probably had his hand in that and probably did it himself. Yeah, um, he was a pretty yeah, creative I it guy. Was really good. It wasn't very cheesy at all. Like the only thing that was bad about it was the accent. But other than that, I, I thought it was really cool and it was a fun way to hype the show up. And and you're right. Lawler said, I think he got that outfit a year ago and never got to wear it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just <yeah>. hilarious. <laughs> That's so. good shit, but. We yeah, kicked nice things opening. off. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was good. I mean, it was different. I, you know, I mm-hmm. shit on Todd Pettengill here for doing this terrible Dracula style <laughs> impersonation, but other than that, I was I was a big fan of Todd Pettengill. I thought uh, he did an excellent job as a huckster. He was a very good salesman. That's you know they brought him in there to hype things. He was a tremendous hype guy. Yeah. I thought he did a great job with all the pay per view reports, the pre shows. He was a really he did. I, I thought he, I, I enjoyed him at the Slammy shows. But yeah, this was probably not his best work as far as delivery, but I do agree with you. I enjoyed like the actual layout of the opening sequence, the the video and things like that. Good job here. And you can tell that's definitely a Todd special. He was a very creative guy when it came to hyping things oh, and yeah. selling things. So we kicked the show off with Savio Vega and it's Halloween or at least the day before Halloween. So what, when else is a good time to have the network broadcast premiere of <sighs> Gold Dust? It's fun banter here, as I already pointed out, between Vince and Lawler throughout the match. But the way Lawler pointed out how long he'd had the costume, been waiting to wear it. And then Vince asks Lawler what kind of doctor he is. And Lawler says he's a proctologist. And Vince says, ah, started at the bottom and stayed there, huh? So just fun stuff between the two back and forth during this one. Solid match, yeah, I, I thought. I said something about Isaac Yankum gets the top and you get the bottom. Right. <laughs> thing like that. So, yeah, Vince was having a good time with the, the costumes. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I thought this was a solid match, or at least it was far more up-tempo than the Genetti match from In Your House. So Savio made it look, work here a little bit. Goldust worked Savio's arm for most of the match, though, and that kind of made it drag a little bit for me. Vega winds up missing a spin kick, and Goldust boots him in the arm, I guess is the best way I can describe it. Just uh, kind of runs into him and, and kicks him in the arm, the injured arm, and then locks in a hammerlock and, and a lateral press. And a very odd win here uh, in eight minutes for Goldust. I thought this was a flat finish. I thought the finish made sense story-wise. You work the arm, you work the arm, then you use the arm against the guy as you as you go into the, the pinfall. But just an odd choice for, of a finish for a brand new character. They're not getting over a finisher or they're not making him look dominant. It's uh, just a really weird finish. Yeah, it came out of nowhere. I, I, like he kicked him in the arm and then <laughs> he did like a roll-up different pin style and then he kind of walked around after kicking him there and, and then he just rolled him up in that pin combination and got the win it, it was yeah, very he hammer- flat and unexpectedly yeah. <clears throat> yeah he hammer locked the injured arm and then like you said into kind of like a somewhat of a cradle hook and yeah it was just weird very very weird <laughs> it's survivor series slam jam and we're greeted by a well jack-o'-lantern vampire Doc Hendricks, he takes the teeth out, thank God. Although, maybe if he'd left him in, I wouldn't have to understand him, and it would have been even better. Uh, He announces that Diesel will wrestle Bret Hart in a no-disqualification, no-time-limit match at the Survivor Series. So that was a pretty big deal. That's coming right out in your house, and 
We saw the brawl between Diesel and Brett there. Brett was going to wrestle the winner of the match at the previous in your house, but Diesel really didn't win that match. And we'll get into more on that in next week's episode of Raw. But Diesel's the champion, yeah. and Brett winds up getting the title shot here. Backstage, we yeah. also see the one, two, three kid trying to hold Razor Ramon back, who apparently was just having words with Owen Hart. We never actually see Owen, so I'm presuming he wasn't really there. But we have to pretend like Owen was there, and Razor's really hot, and he's wanting to get at Owen, and the kid's holding him back as we go into commercial break. But there's one yeah, more thing. It's way seg- more believable than half the shit that they try to make us believe on Nitro. Yeah. Now, I will say about the, the Survivor Series match, according to the Melts, it's supposed to be a cage match, but yeah. and they sent promotional information out regarding that, but they changed their mind. And I think a lot of people, they said a lot of people in the office were saying they need to have the best opportunity to put on a good match and putting a diesel in a cage <laughs> would hinder that ability. And so they said they'd probably put that on the house show run after they run through the match yeah, uh, at Survivor they, Series. Less pressure to put on a, a, a decent match for, you know, pay-per-view match, you got to have a good match, but house show, it doesn't really matter. Right. And maybe they also just saw Bret Hart's cage match against Isaac Yankum and, and double thought like, well, maybe Bret that's was not the best. Yeah. Yeah. That might have been the dry run, so to speak. And uh, th- we saw what we got out of that one. We come back from break and it's time for Milton Bradley Karate Fighters. It's Barry Horowitz going up against Hakushi as they argue over Coke and Pepsi and, and all these other things. And they're going to shoot it out in a Karate Fighter style match. And this went on way too long, way longer than it ever needed to. All the years, the Karate Fighters sponsored Survivor Series, we would get these tournaments and things like this here. And Barry Horowitz gets the win. I can't believe I'm calling this. And we get the old Jim Ross replay. Horowitz wins. Horowitz wins. Hakushi bows to Barry Horowitz for his gigantic Karate Fighters win here. And do you think Hakushi thought when he came in at the beginning of 95, he'd be doing shit like this less than a year into his WWF run? (laughs) Uh, I have no idea what Hakushi thought coming to the WWF. Vince never really gave any Japanese guys a, a shot. I mean, the Orient Express were just there. They broke them up, job teams, you know, that sort of stuff. So I don't know what he thought, what he was promised, anything like that. But I'm sure this had nothing to do with it. But I actually always enjoyed the tournament, to be honest with you. It was different. It didn't take very long as far as a segment. And it's a good way to promote the toy and People probably went out and bought it. I know that game gets tiring. I played it recently, like maybe a few years ago with my brother-in-law. He had one, and <laughs> that gets tiring <laughs> twisting that for as long as you do if you play a lot. So, But, yeah, I'll, it's fine with me. I don't have a problem with it. I think it was just the uh, the amount of time that it went on that kind of just uh, got played out for me, I guess. Action continues. It's Marty Jannetty taking on Joe Dorgan. That's Johnny Swinger, for those curious. It's just a squash match. Jannetty wins with the flying fist drop in 2 minutes, 43 seconds. I wrote here again, like I said last episode, Joe Dorgan had the look. I just I wonder why he never went further than he did here in the mid-90s for either WWF or WCW. Oh, well, it's just something to think about. What do you think about Jannetty here since his return? I feel like if you have Diesel and Sean and Brett and guys like that in your, in your level one tier, Razor's clearly right underneath that tier. Janetti, it feels like they're really, they've really been prominently featuring him almost every week on Raw in some way, shape, or form, and they'll continue to do that here for a little bit longer. Uh, it, won't, it won't last forever. As you know, the new Rockers are, are coming up here in the new year. <laughs> but for right now, it seems like they're trying to build Marty Janetti up into that maybe just under Razor Ramon's type tier on the show. I dug it. I feel like he's still a little behind on his steps. He's not as fast as he was before in his other runs, but I was pretty happy here that Janetti was getting this push. 
Yeah, it almost feels like they, you know what, we're going to give you a push. Hopefully this will keep you out of trouble so we can get some return on our, our investment a little bit. I wonder if that had something to do with it. But I, I didn't mind it back then. I'm sure I didn't mind it. I always was a fan of the Rockers. They're just different. And he has the flashy wardrobe. And the moves in the ring are still relatively new for 95. And he adds new things and, and things like that. So I'm definitely enjoying the little Marty Jannetty run. Every time he come came back, it just seems like he was fresh he was doing the same shit dressing the same but he was fresh for whatever reason and no different here we go on to a promo with prisoner vince in the ring he's interviewing jim Cornette, the british bulldog clarence mason Cornette quips that that prisoner vince should have gotten five to ten years for what happened at the last in your house i'm presuming he means the screw job finish but uh i would have to say that that he's also referencing how shitty the entire pay-per-view was because vince should have got five to ten for as terrible as that pay-per-view was just no excuse and as we already mentioned in a prior episode, he, he, he left the uh, announce table pretty pissed off himself. So I think he would even agree that that was a pretty uneventful and uh, terrible, terrible pay-per-view. Yeah, I, I picked up on that as well. Uh, this, this is, of course, where they mentioned that the winner, as, as I already mentioned earlier, the winner in your house was supposed to meet uh, Bret Hart at Survivor Series. But Bulldog won the match technically by disqualification in your house, so why isn't he wrestling Bret at Survivor Series? They blame it on Gorilla Monsoon changing his ruling, changing the meaning of his ruling to rather than the winner, but rather the champion who leaves in your house would wrestle Bret Hart at Survivor Series. Clarence Mason demands two things. He demands a match with Bret Hart, and I don't think we ever get to what the second thing is because Vince cuts him off and says that they're running short on time. So Cornette, in Cornette fashion, just changes the entire direction of the promo, begins putting over the wild card match, which is probably what was a, a bullet point of what he needed to knock out in the amount of time they were allotted out there. So I never really figured out what the other demand was from Clarence Mason here this week, but we'll find out more on that next week. And that's just about it. Cornette shits all over the wild card match. Partners can't trust one another. He's got guys on both sides facing one another, guys he manages. So pretty decent little promo here. Finally, the Bulldog speaks. He's going to take on Marty Jannetty next week as a part of Raw. Again, Jannetty continues to be prominently featured. He did the Battle Royal last week. He's here this week in a squash. He's back out here again right now because the Bulldog calls Marty Jannetty a stepping stone uh, uh, to get back to Bret Hart and Diesel and things of that nature. I guess Marty takes exception, so he comes running back out to ringside, drop kicks the Bulldog from behind. Cornette tries to attack Jannetty with their tennis racket. Jannetty ducks, hits Cornette with a spinning elbow, winds up backing Clarence Mason into a corner. Mason threatens to sue Marty, repeat, I'll sue you, I'll sue you. Marty thinks about it. He almost clocks him. He even teases like he's going to swing it. Clarence Mason makes him flinch just to have a laugh to end this segment. I thought it was a fun way to set up a TV match next week for Bulldog and Jannetty rather than just announcing it like they did, saying, well, the Bulldog's wrestling Jannetty. This just added something to it for me. Yeah, it put some heat on the match, and uh, I thought it was a pretty good segment. The question I have, though, is why the hell are they mad that British Bulldog doesn't have the match against Bret Hart? Bret Hart doesn't have a belt, so why the hell do you want to fight him for, for what? what? What's what's that going to do for you, fighting Bret Hart at the Survivor Series? I can only imagine so it, they were alluding that it would give him. Sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. In the in the grand scheme of things, it was never really explained why. I mean, I can only make up my own excuse that I guess the winner of that was going to be the net number one contender again, and so maybe that's yeah. what they were trying to get at. It never really touched on that. And again, like I said, Clarence Mason said he had two demands, and he only got to one of them before Vince cut him off and said we're we're running short on time. So I'm not really sure where else they were going to go with that, but we'll see on the next episode of Raw what winds up happening or what's announced. And the show goes on. It's smoking guns in a squash match over John Reckner and Otis. 
not Phil Apollo, as reported on basically every website on the net. This is Otis Apollo from Canada, not the uh, American job guy, Phil Apollo. But we get an insert promo here from the 123 kid. He apologizes for attacking the smoking guns at In Your House after Kid did the job in the tag match with Razor against the guns. And uh, he demands a rematch, however, with the guns. And he says, if the guns are the champs they say they are, they will give, or give Razor and Kid a rematch if they know it's good for them. Didn't sound like much of an apology to me there. Sounds like the kid's still uh, leaning towards that heel, that the dark side, if you will. Yeah, he definitely is. He's like, uh, they better give us a rematch, and they better give us soon. I'm just thinking, who the hell is this guy? Just tell the tag, tag champs when and who they got to defend the titles against. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was underwhelming. It wasn't very good at all. Even if he's trying to be heel, it just didn't work for me. Not, not here. He right. has a little bit of ways to go as far as promos go. The reason I knew and I wanted to point out this is Otis Apollo is because if you go anywhere on the net, they have Phil Apollo listed here, and I guess it's not really a big deal. They're all job guys. I'm sure a lot of people are like, why are you, why are you dwelling on this so much? I just want to get the point out. Hey, man, the guy went out there and he worked the match. So let's, you know, let's give him his due. And I, and I did know Otis Apollo was a, a wrestler, and I heard Vin, Vince repeatedly calling him Otis, Otis, Otis. Like just yeah. he said it like 20 times during the match. And I think he just likes saying the name. Is, <laughs> yeah, all you got to do is watch the match, and you'll know that it's Otis and not Phil. It's just copy and pasting shit that happens on the internet. Right. And, you know, and just so it doesn't get confused with Ray Apollo, who was the final doink, who just bowed out thanks to Triple H burying him just a week or two ago. So, yeah, this is Otis Apollo doing the job to the signwinder here. Billy Gunn gets the win, 2 minutes, 47 seconds. And we're on to a pre-tape promo from Bret Hart. It's a backstage promo. Bret's challenge basically discusses wrestling Diesel at Survivor Series. Nothing really big about this. Uh, Bret's just coming for the belt. Pretty much. You're running the mill Bret Hart promo, but he did say he's calling himself the truck stop. I right. just thought it was very cheesy and <laughs> stupid. Uh, very it's, Bret Hart-ish. It's perfect Bret Hart. Yeah, yes, it's absolutely Bret Hart. Another pre-tape promo this time from Paul Bearer. He's Undertaker-less. Uh, he warns King Mabel, however, that the Undertaker will be returning very soon, looking for revenge. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, during the next match, which is the Owen Hart, Razor Ramon Intercontinental title match, there was a lot of complaints regarding the WWF 900 number uh, as part of this show. During that match, they ran a crawl at the bottom of the screen to call the 900 number for an update. <laughs> an update on the condition of Shawn Michaels. But when people called, it was the same tape of the same message from the previous week where they first uh, discussed the injury. So there's really no update here. And people paid money for this, and you know they weren't getting a refund. So I can see why there were some upset people for those who actually called these things. I can't believe there were people that called these things. But I'm not trying to upset anyone out there or talk down to anyone if you did. I just I can't believe that people called these things. And the fact that, they didn't even get what they were promised. I, I don't know. You know, I, I doubt there were any refunds given. Yeah, I doubt it. It's just sleazy, cheap shit. And hopefully the people that did call never called again after they got screwed over like that. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And you probably had to listen to like five minutes worth of options just to figure out how to get updates on Sean. Yeah, just a shitty thing to do for anybody. Vince must have been hurting for money. Another shitty thing to do is to put Barry Dedinsky on my screen as he offers up WWF little tiny kids plastic title belts. And if you purchase one, you can get unsigned 8x10s. If you get the WWF World Championship belt, you get three unsigned 8x10s by Diesel. And if you purchase the Intercontinental belt, you get three unsigned 8x10s of Razor Ramon. So just, uh, just uh, worth it. <laughs> 
Little did they know that those promos would be worth so much money now. <laughs> those things are hard as hell to get and definitely cost a pretty penny. I think some of those razors and diesels can get like 20 or $30 by themselves. So unsigned. So uh, if, if anybody hung on to those for 25 years and, and kept them in pristine condition, congratulations. And well, <laughs> I just, I, I know I wouldn't have. <laughs> no. Uh, we move on to the main event of the show. It's Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon taking on Owen Hart. Owen, of course, won the Battle Royal, thanks to a little help from the British Bulldog, eliminating Marty Jannetty lastly. And so Owen gets the title match here. And this is the match where I mentioned that the, the crawler's on the screen for the Shawn Michaels 900 number update. So we already discussed that, though. So we'll move on to the match. I thought this was a solid match. Got plenty of time. About a third of the way through the match, Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji show up at ringside to Rudon, Owen Hart, the partner owen hart it's back and forth and coming out of a second break this match actually goes through two breaks this might have been actually been a promotional consideration break it seemed like a faster break i'm not really sure because i, I watched the network version here but razors getting owen up into the razor's edge and yokozuna's right in the ring yanks owen hart down helps him escape the razor's edge for the disqualification so razors announced as the winner by disqualification in about 16 minutes if you're counting commercials at this point, Yoko and Owen attack Razor. Yoko drops the big leg across the throat of Razor Ramon. So here comes the little scrawny one, two, three kid out there to make the save. And seeing him across the ring from Yokozuna is almost comical as Yoko just lays the kid <laughs> to the wayside and drops another big leg on the poor one, two, three kid here as well. Definitely a, a weird, a weird visual there. Kid, I get it. It's his buddy. He's trying to save face and help out his guy, but man, did he look tiny. Tiny, tiny compared to Yokozuna. Yeah, and this kid heel turn's continuing here, so he's just continued to made to look like a fool every time he's out here. I can't wait to see what they do if we ever get another Guns rematch. I'm not even sure we get that before other things take place. But the kid can't get the job done, so who comes out? But it's the in-ring debut of Ahmed Johnson who hits in the ring. Oh, this was great. I'm telling you, this was great. We get our first look at Ahmed in the ring, and I just, I was pumped. And I, and I... Everything that Ahmed did from like post, I've said this before, but post SummerSlam 96-ish time frame onward, I never cared for. All the injuries, terrible promos, terrible angles, terrible matches. Just, I, I, I wanted him off my screen, and by the time he was gone, I was so happy. But this took me back to happier times when his character first debuted. He looked like a million dollars. Just him coming in behind Yokozuna was tremendous. I grabbed some screen caps of that. When they face off, it's it's great. There's no real buildup. He just picks Yoko up, and I know Yoko had to cooperate, but it's far more impressive Ahmed slamming Yokozuna than Luger because, A, Yoko's so much more heavier here, and, B, he literally <laughs> looks like he's holding Yoko up there. It's not so much what Bobby Heenan referred to as a hip toss. Luger's slam, nowhere near this impressive, I thought. No, absolutely not. This is the best slam on Yokozuna by far. It was almost like Hogan and Andre-esque where Hogan fully rotated him and held him up for a minute and not a full minute, obviously you just saw me, right. but uh, he held him up and you could see the rotation and you could see an actual body slam. Whereas Luger looks like he just picked him up and dropped him. And uh, here he, he fully rotated him. And he, like you said, it looked like he was just holding. Him. And I remember as a kid, I was like, who the hell is this guy? Cause I may have missed his promos or his mm -hmm. vignettes that they did for him. And he comes running in and he slams Yoko like that. I was hooked instantly. I was like, holy crap, this dude's awesome. Like, who is that? I can't wait to see more. So I was like, I was pumped to see Raw the following week just to see who the hell this guy was. And then 
the stare down with Bulldog at the end was even better. He's like sticking his tongue out like you don't want none of this dude. And Bulldog thinks better of it in his leaves. But yeah, this was a perfect, perfect entering debut for a guy. I mean, how do you how else do you strap a rocket to him than this? I mean, good. Yeah, news. this was this was an instant star maker, and it even worked on me back then. And I didn't sell easily as a as a teenager, especially for a baby face. It was cooler to like the heels than the baby faces. So you had to be something special. And his explosiveness here was just second to none. It was I, you know, Vince is like, if you can get out there and if you can slam them and if you can make it look good, you're a star. And then he, he did not disappoint. And I remember, I didn't know a whole lot about, you know, what we were going to get with Ahmed Johnson. All we had seen was, you know, these uh, pre-tape promos at this point. So seeing him come out in full gear and, and then the first thing he ever does is slam Yokozuna. It was huge. And I was a believer immediately. And I saw him as a main eventer immediately. So, uh, yeah, at this point, they've done nothing wrong with Ahmed Johnson. I can't say that going forward, but at this point, man, he's uh, he could easily be right up there with uh, any of the other main event guys as far as uh, being over, because I'm sure the fans are really, really into this guy early on. Unfortunately, you know, things oh, happen. The crowd, like, crowd just jumps out of their seats. Usually, you can tell the piped-in noise. These guys are jumping up and down like, holy crap. But that was huge. injuries just totally, totally derailed this guy. Yeah. And we've talked before in some of our watch alongs about things like people never understood, uh, understand the impact of, of Snuka diving off the cage on Morocco, you know, because of everything that we've seen since then. I don't know that people will ever understand the impact of this slam as far as getting Ahmed over if they had to live through it. And this was such a huge deal for me. It got him over with me. And like you said, Davy Boy runs in, teases a showdown with Ahmed as the show's ending, but Ahmed catches him coming, and Davy Boy backs up right away. He wants no part of it. And Ahmed's sitting there, like, just uh, swinging his tongue around and, and just hyped up, come on, bring it or whatever. And we fade to black, and we're off the air. And I'm like, the Yeti! This is how you end a show with something huge and fade to black. Just tremendous. Oh, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Left you wanting more. Like I said, I could not wait to see Raw the next week because I wanted to see what Ahmed was going to do. I mean, if he's body slamming Yoko as the first thing he does on TV, yep. what's he going to do as an encore? Yeah, just really good stuff. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I was thinking the same thing at that time, going back that, that far. I still remember thinking, man, I, what, what, give me more of this guy. What, what am I going to see? What is he going to do next week? To me, I, you know, he was, a, he was on the roster now, so he could do anything any given week. And if the first thing he did was slam Yoko, what's he going to do next? So, yeah, tremendous, tremendous way to end the show. And the segment of the night for me was the body slam. And, and I guess it all lumps together with the Razor Noah match, which was a damn fine match. I had nothing wrong with the match, but the body slam just sticks out to me. It's like, I, I know it's not the segment of the show, which is why I'm happy I can lump it in with the Razor and Owen and, and all that good stuff. But you really don't even need the rest of the show here for me to sell me on, on the big body slam at the end of the show with Ahmed and Yokozuna. What was your segment of the night? Yeah, the Razor Owen match, uh, and like like you just mentioned, I, I, I lump it all together. Uh, it, it was the entire ending of the show, the last 20 minutes. You got the match, and then you got the kid getting squashed like a bug, and oh, Razor getting laid out, then here comes Ahmed out of nowhere. Like It was completely unexpected. Him just picking him up and slamming, that's, it's just insane. Yeah, definitely the slam sticks out, but I also enjoyed the match itself. So the, that whole last 20 minutes was awesome. And so we talk about that bump coming off of pay-per-views, that .03 extra bump, or that .3 extra bump, I should say, uh, after pay-per-views. So WCW Nitro here, as the ratings are in, uh, WCW Nitro does a 
2.5 rating with a 3.6 share, while Raw does a 2.2 rating with a 3.1 share. So Nitro gets that 0.3 bump, 2.5, and Raw gets 2.2. So if it weren't for that 0.3 bump, they'd be about tied again this week, or maybe WCW even took a few of the WWF viewers this week, which is unfortunate for those viewers who tuned into Nitro expecting something special after the pay-per-view. Meanwhile, the special stuff was happening on Raw, so shame on you guys. I remember watching Raw on this night, though. I can I can guarantee you that. So Nitro wins in the ratings, though, and now it's time for us to decide the real winner, Steve. So who do you pick, Nitro or Raw? <laughs> I mean, this really isn't even a question. Raw was definitely better. Uh, Razor and Owen match. Um, Marty on there. Uh, Savio Vega and Goldust was pretty decent for what it was. I thought they also did a really good job of hyping up the next week's show. It felt like the show was better in the angles, like the angles and where they were going as far as new stars have more direction and solidarity compared to Nitro. Nitro just still seems to be all over the place. No continuity, no nothing. Uh, it's like they forget stuff and then, oh, let's bring it back up. Like the Scott Norton shark match. Uh, yeah, that sort of they, stuff. So they bring things. Like, yeah. They bring things back. You, you wish they wouldn't remember. You wish they forget. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. And some of the other things, I, I still don't feel like they know exactly what to do with all this new talent that they have. Um, they're showcasing them, which is great, but there's no direction. I mean, yeah, they're just throwing them out uh, there in matches. So Raw was definitely well more, or, way more organized, and I thought it, it was definitely the better show, hands down. It's not even close. Yeah, you can't argue that. There wasn't a, a single thing. I mean, it was hard for me to even pick anything worth mentioning on Nitro to pick a segment of the week. And on Raw, there's several segments that may not be segment of the week, but they were certainly solid. Goldust and Savio was okay. Uh, we got a couple of squashes, so nothing really to mention there. But I even liked how Janetti came out during the end of the Bulldog promo just to kind of get, make it more eventful and give their match a reason next week for Raw, a little more reason anyway. So segment of the night easily went to, the you know, like you said, the final third of the show. So obviously, you know, when, when we can't even pick a segment on Nitro, but a third of the show on Raw is uh, the segment of the week, I got to give it to Raw too. With no, There's no debate there, 100%. Monday Night Raw gets the win. Uh, shame on you people who watch Nitro over Raw this week. Shame on you. And we move on to the week of November 6, 1995, and we're going to start off with Monday Nitro. We're in Jacksonville, Florida at the Coliseum there. There's 3,500 paid. And, and there's 9,500 fans there all together, so not a really great payday uh, for WCW. They're not making a whole lot off this show as they barely bring in a, a third of the crowd uh, on pay, so a lot of paper, nearly two-thirds of the crowd's paper. And what makes this even worse is not only do we get a live Nitro, but they're taping the following week Nitro here. So this is two episodes of Nitro, and they can't sell more than 3,500 tickets. Of course, I always question when anybody runs in Florida – and that's kind of funny now, given what's going on with the virus and WWE and AEW and everything. But Florida, you know, just with the sports teams, it doesn't draw like other places because there's so much else you can do down there. So even, you know, a team, a football team down there, for instance, they have to be really, really good to sell out the arena. You know, the heat sometimes, the heat sometimes, unless LeBron was there or something along those lines, you'd have to almost get to the playoffs in order to, to sell out. And even then it was, you know, kind of iffy depending on who was on the team. So, showing up to, at halftime. Yeah. You know, the, that's the joke with the Heat fans is they show up at halftime. So even in, in 95, definitely Florida is not a hotbed for wrestling like it is now. So, But you get two Nitros definitely. here for the price of one, and you can only bring three 3,500 people into the arena, that's, which is not good. That's terrible. Yeah. And uh, they're, like I mentioned, they're taping two Nitros here. 
And this one's live. The uh, November 6th episode is live. But get this, the November 13th episode, the episode that airs after this next week, was actually taped before this because of the time. Uh, They didn't want to run too long at night. So basically they taped these two nitros out of order. So there's some continuity issues here and confusion with the fans in the arena, as you might imagine here with WCW. Do they do they announce, hey, this is for the November 13th episode of Nitro that we're recording now? Like, or do you just think they just send matches out there and say, yeah, well, here's your show? I mean, like, I don't care I feel- if it gives it away and things like yeah. that. Like, could you imagine if you, you paid to go here and you're, you're sitting there and they film the November 13th episode of Nitro before the November 6th show even happens? Yes. And then you go home and then you turn on the TV for November 13th. And you're like, oh, shit. They just re- they recorded Nitro before they actually did Nitro. I didn't even know. Like, could you imagine? Yeah. Like, having, been, pick- having been to as many TV tapings as I've been to, I would like to think that they did announce that this is a Nitro taping, but it's WCW. So at the end of the day, you never know. The only way we know that answer to that is if so- somebody responds that was at, th- at this show <laughs> or at least uh, – <laughs> remembers the commercials, the local commercials for, for, for this show. Anyway, I don't really know, but this episode here, this November 6th episode, it's the interactive main event episode in which you can call the 900 number. And for 99 cents a minute, you can pick the opponents in the main event here this week. And it's Gene Okerlund standing in the red locker room with big Bubba Rogers, DDP shark and Scott Norton, uh, Regal and eating the blue bloods. And I give him this much. There's a little bit of continuity here. I, not that I want it to be, but Shark and Norton do a little arguing in the background. Regal and Eaton are sipping tea and reading books. So it's, it's it's a little bit fun. I'm sure these are things they thought of all on their own. I'm sure they weren't given no direction. I, I don't think anyone involved really gave a shit what they were doing here besides standing in front of the camera. And, of course, Ric Flair, the head guy here in the red locker room, I think it's uh, pretty obvious who's going to get voted here if I have to choose between Ric Flair and Big Bubba Rogers and Shark and, and guys yeah. like that. And we go over to the blue locker room, and it's Tony Schiavone standing by with the baby faces. It's TV champion Johnny B. Bad, Alex Wright, the Nasty Boys, Dave Sullivan, Jim Duggan, and I think this is Dave Sullivan's uh, debut here on Nitro, uh, Jim Duggan and Mr. JL. And Randy Savage was uh, originally previously announced to be a member of the blue locker room, as I mentioned on last episode, but he was removed as an option due to his injury. And while previously unannounced names like Dave Sullivan, Jerry Lynn, and Alex Wright were added, so... They get rid of Savage and they replace him with Alex Wright, Jerry Lynn, and Dave Sullivan. <laughs> I don't really know what to say. You there. also have you noticed too, like John B. Bad? <laughs> it looks like he just got done having a match. Like he was sweating, like mm. his hair. It looks like his, after he was done at, at Halloween Havoc. If you go back and watch, he's standing right next to Gene when you come back, and it looks like he just got done wrestling a match. So we should see him on the November thirteenth episode. Like, yeah, oh. I would think. That's a good, good catch there. I didn't, I didn't pay attention. Uh, but I also forgot to mention also in the blue locker room is U.S. champion Sting. So you tell me who you think is going to wind up here in the main event here. The fact that anybody even paid to vote is just silly. In fact, my thought yeah, on. Even uh, the, I was just going to say, even the commentary team is really pushing it. I mean, they're, they, they're pushing you where they want you to go. So, again, why would you waste your money to vote to say you did? Oh, I had a hand in this match. Like, who gives a shit? Yeah, and I mean, it was uh, very different for that time, but they tried this a couple times on in, uh, WCW Saturday Night in the past, and I was a couple years younger yeah. at that point, and I, it was cool. It was innovative. It was very different 
believe it or not, as far as people, oh, that's stupid. But even then, as much as I would like to have voted to say, I, oh my God, I voted on a match. You know, I, I got to make this match. I could see the locker rooms and I knew who was going to win. So I knew why would I waste my money to, to, to make exactly. this vote. So, and it just creeps me out that it's not 99 cents per call. It's 99 cents per minute, which just sounds really, really shady. Like how long is it going to take them to announce all these guys' names before you can choose? You know, so it's uh it's very WCW esque. Sounds like it's very wrestling esque based off of both of their 909s. My goodness. True that. Touche. And we kick things off. Uh, it's Cobra making his way to the ring to take on the quote unquote world champion, the giant. And I have a fun little Cobra story here. Did you listen to this when Cobra made his way out? Did they overdub Morse code with Morse code? Because I couldn't really hear the fans, and I, I could make a joke here that the fans were dead because it's Cobra. But I, I literally, there was like no sound over the, underneath the Morse code. It almost felt they, they took some Morse code and put it over top of his music Morse code, if you will. Just weird. Yeah, I have no idea what the hell. It, it definitely it sounded like the audio lines were definitely not matching. Uh, definitely out of sync and just weird. But the Morse code, oh my goodness. <laughs> and it, and I, do you, did you ever hear Dusty Rhodes uh, commentate on a Cobra match? Because those were my favorites. And I, I felt like he told, he told the joke two or three different times, but I always got a kick out of it. And, and me and my cousin, Crystal, my female cousin, we used to laugh all the time, get a kick out of this and, and bring this up every now and then. Uh, Cobra would come to the ring and the Morse code would start playing. And Dusty would act like he's, he's deciphering it. And I don't know who was announcing with him. You know, it could have been Chris Cruz on pro or it could have been, you know, on Saturday night with Tony or whatever. Wait, you hear that? You hear that? Well, you, you were saying, well, you were saying, no, Dusty was saying, if, if saying, if saying, do, 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 do. And I just thought that was so hilarious. Just Dusty Rhodes having some fun out there. And, uh, it was, it was great. So you were, he's, cause he's sitting there. He's like trying to get the announcer to shut up so he can listen. He's reading the Morse code and he's deciphering it and he's decoding it. And he's listening to what it's saying. And he asks you, you know what that's saying? No, what is it saying, Dusty? It's saying, did it, do, 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 do. So just uh, classic Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> I love me some big dust. Nah, I haven't really picked, I never really picked up on that, but I definitely, I want to hear it now. Cause yeah. I can, I can hear Dusty doing it. And it, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's funny. <laughs> I, I can't remember what show it was. I was watching earlier today, but it was a Halloween Havoc. And Heenan was like, what would Beavis and Butthead say in this situation? He's like, uh, uh, uh. And Tony just starts dying laughing. He's like, what else would you, what else would they say? <laughs> so <laughs> just hilarious stuff. Some of the stuff these guys come up with, man, good stuff. Yeah. You could, Tony lost his mind from time to time when he was flanked by both <laughs> Heenan and Dusty and they double teamed him. Oh my God. I can only imagine how hard his gig was when he's trying to be serious or call a match and you got Heenan and Dusty just throwing you all sorts of problems. Oh, my Lord. I think he enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, I would, too. I mean, who wouldn't? But, man, he's trying to do a job, too. Oh, I agree. And we'll get back to this match. There's not a whole lot going on here. Um, the Giant walks out with Hogan's world title, but at this point in the show, the Giant's technically not perceived to be the world heavyweight champion, so David Penzer, the ring announcer, does not introduce him or does not introduce this as a world title match. So the giant grabs Penzer and picks him up in the air until David announces this as a world title match. So not that it really matters. The giant pins Cobra here in about 17 seconds with the choke slam and Cobra, a former tag team member of the thunder and lightning tag team earlier in the nineties. And then 
He'd also be the future NWO Sting for any of you trivia buffs out there. But yeah, nothing here. <laughs> Giant gets the win. I don't know how you say dead in Morse code, but did it, did it, did And that's the end of Cobra. And the Giant picks up the easy win here. Oh, my God. The best part of this match was after it was over. Bobby's going in like oh, that's a new record. I've I've never seen a match that short. And then Mongo comes back with Bobby. You probably haven't seen something be over that quick since your honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mongo was uh, quick like, witted at times. I'm, you like, know? I'm like, oh my god, did he just go there? And I think Bischoff just quickly changed the conversation. But man, yeah, I was like, I would imagine Mongo did shit all over him. <laughs> yeah. We go to Venice Beach, or at least that's where they tell us we head to, and I don't really know what was going on here. In fact, I actually kind of skipped over this. I just couldn't take it. It's a promo with Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. I guess they're somewhere by the beach anyway, and there's a guy, I don't know what the hell he was doing, and they're, they're sitting around with a bum or a weirdo or whatever the hell it is. Looked like a legit, legit <laughs> a bum. And then there's another guy over there. I'm not sure if he was singing or what the hell was going on. It was really weird. I didn't understand what the hell they were doing here. Hogan going back home, maybe, or trying to find his, his roots once again before he returns to the ring uh, after being turned on by Jimmy Hart and things. I don't really know what was happening here. If you, you got anything to add, please do. So Bischoff was saying, uh, this is after the promo, but he was saying stuff like Venice Beach is a pretty rough place to be and there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. And so Hogan going back was as the dark side of Hogan was just him going back home, I guess. The main notes I took down was Randy Savage. He said, tells Hogan to take the low road and he'll take the high road. He tells Hogan to stay on the dark side and he'll go to the light side and find out who is a friend and who is a foe. And then Hogan says he's going to stay on the dark side. I was like, this shit was all over the place and it was terrible. It made absolutely no sense. And I lost a few brain cells. Yeah. Garbage. This is is the first uh, segment I really just tuned out from the beginning. I just said, I can't do this. And I cheated and I, I kind of skipped it. We go into the next match. It's Kevin Sullivan accompanied now by Jimmy Hart taking on the Renegade. And it appears the warrior-esque push of the Renegade is completely over, to say the least. Still the generic warrior music, though, as he runs down to ringside. And I got to say this, his clotheslines are about as stiff as the Warriors. As he, as he just forces Sullivan to take bumps off these clotheslines. Jimmy Hart winds up distracting Renegade on the floor. Kevin Sullivan takes over. Crotches Renegade on the railing, back inside. Middle rope, double stomp from Sullivan gets the win. Two minutes, 44 seconds. And at that point, they basically put an end to the Renegade. I remember watching this live. Jimmy Hart and um, Hogan had brought the Renegade in, so they're taking him out, or at least Jimmy Hart's taking him out. Jimmy Hart grabs a cup of water, throws it on Renegade's face, grabs a towel, wipes the face paint, the R, the Renegade warrior face paint, off his face, and he yells at him, you're no renegade, you're just plain Rick. And I remember the first time I heard that, it was kind of a shoot in a way because you never really called wrestlers by their real names. So I'm like, wow, that guy's name is Rick. You know, what a mark. But, but yeah, I mean, I've never seen somebody so decimated. They, they stripped him of his gimmick. I, I feel bad because I think he ends up later on, I think he had committed suicide and, yeah. From what fan, friends and family said, that he, he was really devastated with how poorly uh, the Renegade character took off and that it just didn't work out. And he put a lot of that on himself, and that, that's sad. It's not his fault. He, he came in in 94, 95, and wrestling was on the downside. And um, there's only one Ultimate Warrior. He got, handed a, he got handed a shit hand, and 
I thought he did the best with it. He was definitely green and wasn't ready for what he had give, been given to him. But that's not his fault. That's the booking, and they should have known better. But it's just unfortunate what happened to him. But this segment was pretty – the match itself sucked, but him rubbing that face paint off and doing that, I'm like, that was a cool way to strip somebody of their gimmick, and it really showed Jimmy Hart was an asshole. So I thought it was well done, but knowing what happened to the guy later on, it's pretty sad. It, it stinks for him. Yeah, and I remember this vividly. Like, even then, I mean, in the infancy of the Internet and way before I ever had a, an observer in my hand, even then, just teenage me, random fan guy me, I just, I realized right then and there they just killed his career. Like, I was like, I can't believe they did this to this guy. I was uh, definitely, maybe unintentionally, uh, a huge impact, but that was, I mean, it didn't play in the WCW world. Like, it, it didn't impact WCW, but... Obviously, it impacted right. Rick Wilson, but it also just impacted his career. Uh, they buried him. Like, how do you come back from that? How yeah. do you come back for that? Yeah, there was no revenge, and you know he came back as a job guy uh, eventually down the line. The Meltz reports here that Renegade's being written out and is going back to train at the WCW power plant, which is obviously a good idea. You, it wasn't like he came to them and said, hey, hire me to play the Ultimate Warrior because Hogan wants a warrior character. This was Hogan's idea. He saw this guy. He said, bring this guy in. Let's make him warrior. Anybody could be the warrior. And it didn't work out. And now, you know, he's paying for it. And Hogan's off here living, you know, high and mighty. Instead of at least trying to take care of the guy a little bit. I'm not saying Hogan owes him money, but he could have said, hey, guy, you know, give the guy the TV title. Put him on, or yeah, which he did have. Uh, or put him on Saturday night and give him, give him an angle or something, you know. But instead, instead they yeah. just bury him and he's, he's gone for quite a while. Or at least he's, he, when he comes back, he's not doing this gimmick anymore. Uh, also during this match, Bobby Heenan announces a Japanese contingent would appear each week on WCW Pro, which just kills the entire Starcade theme because they want to do that best of, what is it, five or seven? I can't really remember what it is. I think it's seven. I think it's seven. Yeah. yeah the best of seven between WCW and Japan, or New Japan, if you will. But all the matches leading up to it, all the Japanese guys getting put over, it's all on pro, the D or E show or whatever we are here in 1995. So it's like the least watched program of all the programs here in WCW. And that's where they stick all the guys on to do all the matches. Uh, on those they only TV get 30 things. minutes. <laughs> yeah, they only half get the show. Minutes, so. Right. So this is they Bobby Hughes. Commercials, they, only get, they get more than half, but yeah. And so I also have to ask here, how does Bobby Heenan work this out? How does Bobby Heenan create this contract? And remember, if you remember, Sonny Ono is the one that paid Bobby Heenan. So how did Bobby Heenan set this up for these guys to get half of pro? It, none of this, the loopholes here, the loopholes here are ridiculous. And I think it's just Bischoff going, well, we got to do something to put over this Starcade shit. So let's just, uh, he looked around, he saw Bob, Bobby, you're, you're a guy that would, you know, use car salesman. You'd sell somebody, you know, something you don't own. Want some swampland, you know, or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. Just none, none of it ever made any sense to me. I wonder if they did it just because they knew Bobby would do his best to get it over, because he's that good. I yeah, mean, they, they were so that, concerned. I, I don't know. They were so concerned with you know building up the the entire program that they stuck it all on pro. Way to go, WCW. It's off to the red locker room and a Ric Flair promo with me and Gene Okerlund. And I asked myself as I looked around and I saw all these heels in here, why is Ric Flair being favored here? Why is he getting promo time? Why isn't Shark up there talking about why you should pick him? So it just seems like they're doing, as if Ric Flair wasn't going to get chosen anyway, 
They go out of their way in every way, shape, and form to make sure that you vote for Ric Flair. That's even if this 900 line's yeah. on the up and up. I, I don't even know if it's on the up and up. I think it's just common it could sense. Be like that. It could be that OJ line where you vote if you <laughs> thought he was guilty or not. It's At least WCW doesn't really in, insult your intelligence by giving you results. They just tell you who's fighting. At least right. they didn't show it up there. 99% Sting. <laughs> 17% Dave Sullivan. Court. Yeah, Dave Sullivan came in yeah. second. Mm-hmm. Sure. Maybe his rabbit did. <laughs> Ralph. It's uh, WCW oh, Saturday yeah. night with Arn Anderson taking on Kurosawa. I might actually go try to find that match. Disco Inferno debuts his music video. Are you looking forward to that? I hope that makes it to Nitro. And get this, Steve. Jim Duggan travels to Ireland. And Lord help yeah. us all when he gets back. I would definitely check out the Arn Anderson match, but Disco debut, video debut, and Duggan goes to Ireland. I can only imagine how terrible that is. I remember when I saw that Duggan in Ireland video. That was... Um, uh-huh. Yeah, that was uh, not good. That was up right up there with the Ate and the ice block for me. Maybe even worse. At least it was on Saturday night. Unfortunately, we'll have to deal with that week to week to week for quite a while here. Duggan in the, the taped the taped fist gimmick. Hopefully he's not on Nitro a whole lot, though. Uh, next match, Eddie Guerrero taking on Chris Benoit. I feel like this is their second encounter here on Nitro. Uh, Eric brings up the cruiserweight division right at the beginning of the match and talks about a tournament upcoming for to crown the cruiserweight champion. Doesn't have a lot of details, but he brings it up here again, so he's still lumping Guerrero and Benoit certainly into that division. Great stuff here. Eddie does another one of those top rope dives down the aisle. Benoit with some nice bridging suplexes. He does a Northern Lights and a German. Meanwhile, while all of this is going on, Eric Bischoff wants to talk about the bums and the crazy people in Venice Beach and Hulk Hogan. Seriously, he ignores this match to talk about stupid shit like that. Even when Benoit does another one of those power bombs, you know, where he like tries to drive Eddie through the mat. The very moment he finishes that power bomb and, and Eddie looks like he's just laying there just out of it. The first sentence out of Eric's mouth is something about Hulk Hogan and Venice Beach and the crazy people there. I couldn't believe it. Like, how do you even ignore that? I don't care who's in the ring. I don't, I don't care. If it's curtain jerkers and a move like that takes place, you're just really, that's somebody really not paying attention to their own product in front of, I don't even know if he's looking at the monitor because to see something like that transpire. And then one second later reference the Hulk Hogan promo from two matches ago or two segments ago or whatever, just terrible. Yeah. And they also cut to the Japanese wrestlers. Like I think it was Chono, Liger, Sasaki, Mr. Saito, Mr. Saito. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah, it's just another week where they have the two best guys on the, in the roster as far as work rate goes in a match, and they can give two shits about it. This is my problem with it. Everybody wants to give Bischoff credit for bringing these guys in, but he brought them in because he knew they could work, and that was it. He didn't have any idea what to do with them, and he had no, he didn't have any desire, it felt like, to push these guys or do anything with them. Right. And um, it's just complete disrespect to these guys. Could you imagine going to the back or turning this on or – as soon as you get back there, hey, man, how do we do? Oh, well, you did great, but guess what? Bischoff did this, this, and this during your match, and he didn't even give a shit. He didn't even take two minutes out of your match to get you guys over. Um, yeah, that has to be a huge blow to your ego, and I'm not saying ego in a bad way. I mean, you're there, you're given an opportunity, you're on Nitro, you're feeling good about yourself, you have a good match, and you come to the back, and you're like, yeah, the boss wasn't even paying attention. He was too busy selling Hulk Hogan on a beach. It's, it's- yeah, like I would just be devastated. It's like, what yeah. do I got to do? 
yeah. and this is a tr- we all know what happens. This never changes no. <laughs> for these guys. I mean, no. just there's a reason they left. Just sad. It's terrible. Yeah, WWE so would still be around if they gave a shit. Let's be honest. Yeah, I think so. I think if uh, Bischoff hadn't been up his own ass and trying to get himself <laughs> over and, and listening to the wrong people when he's you know he should be in charge and not necessarily the inmates. I think, you know, there were a lot of mistakes made there, but it's not the right guys to listen to either, obviously, because look what happened to the company. Oh, yeah. But finish of this match with Benoit and Guerrero, really good match back and forth, and Benoit gets Eddie Guerrero out to the apron. He tries to back suplex him back into the ring. Guerrero floats over into kind of a, a crossbody of sorts, if you want, for lack of a better term, lands on top of Benoit. Benoit's feet are caught under the rope, so he can't really kick out of the move, and Guerrero winds up getting the win in 6 minutes, 28 seconds. And my first question is, because the announcers are selling like, Damn, he couldn't kick out because his feet were under the ropes. But I was thinking, you know, like, shouldn't the, it shouldn't have counted, right? His feet were under the ropes. In fact, they were on the ropes. He was touching, his shins were touching the bottom of the rope. So really, the, the three count shouldn't even have happened. Um, but the announcers really didn't even play that up. They just played up that Benoit was in a bad position to kick out. So either way, Guerrero kind of sneaks one over here unintentionally on Chris Benoit. So they both, I believe they both have a, uh, a win against each other now here on Nitro and two really good matches. Yeah, this feels like the only one they really care about is Eddie. It feels that way anyway. Uh, he's going to get most of the wins and getting the the angles with like Pillman and things like that. It, it didn't make a lot of sense. It just makes you wonder if they tried to do that just so you can get a third match out of them without just putting them out there for no reason. Benoit has a reason to want a third match now. Even though they're one-to-one, you, you still have that, well, you didn't beat me clean type deal. Yeah, so I guess set, that makes set- sense. But, Sad part there is they're not playing that up at all. They're not mentioning these guys both have a, a fall over each other. These announcers have no idea. Or no. Bischoff has no care. So while me and you are noticing these things, Bischoff certainly isn't. So uh, nobody count on a rubber match here. At least it's not going to be sold as a rubber match, I, would, I wouldn't think anyway. Sad. You know, at this point, the Melts had already reported in the Observer, too, that Chris Benoit was going to end up being the fourth horseman. So it was nice to see Eddie Guerrero get a win over a guy who's getting being groomed to be the fourth horseman. But it just seems really odd to me that they keep lumping Benoit into the cruiserweight division, yet he's going to be a horseman. Uh, the cruiserweight division doesn't sound like something that's meant for the horseman. So just kind of weird overall. I wonder if he's having second thoughts about putting Benoit in there. Of course, he did arrive in a limo in a suit, so maybe this has been a plan for a while. And it's over to the blue locker room, and Tony Schiavone standing by with Sting! Uh, Sting cuts a promo now. We already heard from Flair. Now we're hearing from Sting, and Sting wants it Flair in a bad way. Uh, and I love how Jerry Sags kind of sneaks in. Yeah, we want the Blue Bloods at the end or whatever. So at least the Nasties are trying to get themselves in here uh, for, for a vote. Uh, they're not even hiding that they're trying to make sure everyone votes for Sting and Flair here. Not that anybody else in these locker rooms are getting voted for. I, I would actually be curious to see what the actual percentages were here with Sting and Flair. <laughs> yeah, I would too. So we're expected to believe that Sting cuts a promo right before the commercial break, and you're still voting for the commercial break. And when you come back, they, they tallied it up then, all at once, just that fast. Technology did not work like that in 1995. But that's what happens here, as Ric Flair and Sting are the winners of your 900 number vote. So congratulations to anyone who spent the money to put this match on Nitro. Hey, I booked that match. Congratulations. And this is just typical Flair and Sting, and I don't mean to sound like that's a bad thing because it's not. It's a good match. It's a fun match. Eric had said this earlier on the show, too, but he says it again here in this match, and it reminded me he says it like repeatedly in the World War III Battle Royal, and, and I don't know how, for how long this continues, but it's, it's one of his new like sayings, and it drives me nuts. 
Oh, he hit the deck and he hit the deck hard. It just sounds like redundant. He hit the deck and he hit the deck hard and it just sounds stupid anyway. I I don't know why I noted this here, but it's just, this was late 95 Eric Bischoff. And I just remember him saying this all the time. It goes right up there with the front leg round kick and the back leg round kick and shit like that. Eric uh, had no business here as the announcer on Nitro, but I get why he did it because he wanted to make sure he got over everything that he needed over. So it is what it is, and you just got to you know, take it as you get it. He's definitely learning. He's trying to figure out how to do this job on the fly. But, yeah, he's not very good. And as we're about to find out, <laughs> he's uh, he does things that you're not supposed to be doing. We'll get to that in a second, I'm sure. Yeah. So the match is going pretty good. Sting's hitting all his big spots on Flair. Flair doing, taking all his normal bumps, the press slam, taking the flip up over in the corner. We go into commercial break. We come back. It's figure four time. Flair puts Sting in the figure four. Sting begins to no-sell. He's, he's flexing, and he's no-selling the move. He turns it over. They have to be separated. It's just really good back-and-forth stuff. Uh, finish sees Sting with a top-rope superplex on Flair and a scorpion deathlock. Sting gets the win here. Pretty simple. 12-minute match along with commercials, and Sting just beats Flair outright. No horseman, no nothing, no screw job ending. Just Sting with the win. Pretty cool ending. Usually you don't really get those, but Flair was never one to shy away from doing the job. Pretty solid match. Like you said, typical Sting and Flair match, but these guys can do it in their sleep. Yeah, when I say that, I, you know, it could, sounds like it could be derogative, but it's not. It's a good thing. I mean, just nothing extra special, but it's even a typical Flair-Sting match is a fun match. And we get a finish, so hey. And Sting gets a little bit of revenge, but this is, I'm sure, far from over. And after the match, Sting keeps hold of the Scorpion Deathlock. He won't release the hold. And despite several referees, we get Eddie Guerrero out there, Jerry Lynn's out there, Jim Duggan, Dave Sullivan, basically everyone in the locker room that weren't voted on. Johnny B. Bad even tries to convince Sting to release the hold. Eventually, Sting lets go of the hold. I'm wondering if he was even supposed to. But he lets go of the hold and he starts to leave. And then he runs back and reapplies the hold. And that's when Lex Luger finally wanders down. And he comes in the ring and he whispers something or he says something in Sting's face. And Sting almost immediately releases the Scorpion Deathlock and kind of leaves with Lex Luger. And I know what you were alluding to here. So I'm going to let you tell everyone what you were alluding to. Yeah, it seems like as soon as he got him in that Scorpion, he didn't let go and all the refs came out. Bischoff was like, uh, here comes Luger. And it felt like he said he was coming out, but then all of a sudden, Eddie, JL, Dave Sullivan, Duggan, Johnny B. Bad come out, and like he breaks free from after that. But then he comes back in. So I, I don't know if it was Bischoff saying Luger should have been the first one out, and then they sent all these guys out to cover for him. I do know when Luger finally does come out, Bischoff mentions that he finally broke away from security, which makes no sense. Why the hell would security stop? Luger from coming out, like, what the hell is Lex Luger going to do? Security's not stopping uh, anyone else from coming out on these shows. Exactly. So it didn't make any sense. Um, and then, obviously, Luger did the whisper in his ear type deal. But I don't know who was at fault here, but we ha- we do know that Bischoff likes to spoil things a little ahead of time. A few episodes back, he said, here comes Luger, and it was actually, like, Alex Wright. And then, finally, Luger came out when it was his turn. So, And I wonder if this is just yeah. Luger shitting around backstage, too, and missing his cues. Because according to the Melts, Lex Luger missed his cue here to come out. And Bischoff said so. Uh, said his name on television, like you pointed out. He calls Luger way before Luger actually comes out here giving away, away the end of the show. Bischoff was said to be really mad after this show. And uh, even mentioning that Bobby Heenan tried to cover on commentary to help Bischoff cover it up. But... 
with Meltzer reporting that Bischoff was upset, it sounds to me like this was Luger. I don't know what he was doing back there, but maybe he missed his cue, just looking at himself in a mirror, being Lex Luger, I guess, really, in the grand scheme of things. Hey, I don't know, though. It doesn't make any sense. So you're telling me Eddie, JL, Dave Sullivan, Doug, and all those guys are just on standby to run out there? Like, you can round up six people, but you can't tell the guy that was supposed to go out there to go out there? No, I believe all of them are supposed to come out. I, I believe that. I don't know. So this Bischoff is... saying, here comes Luger first, because like my notes, Bischoff says Luger is coming out, but Luger is nowhere to be seen. And then all of a sudden, all six of those guys come out. So if Bischoff's calling his name already, and then those six guys come out, if that's what they're supposed to do, then how the hell is Bischoff mad at Luger for missing his cue? Or maybe Luke Bischoff made himself look stupid by giving it away again, and he got pissed off and tried to blame it on Luger. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense by saying Luger missed his cue if those guys are supposed to go out there. And to be honest with you, I thought it came off better with Sting being even more pissed with Ric Flair for screwing him over by running back in and putting it back in on him. Right. That makes more sense to me anyway because Sting did say, it's off with your head if you screw me over. And Flair screwed him over, so it's off with your head. I'm going to come back and put this on you again. I'm not done. Yeah. I, so I that, to me, I makes more sense of an angle. But – Hard telling. I can only question Sting's judge of character here. He just had Ric Flair turn on him. He just watched Luger turn on Savage and Hogan, yet he trusts Luger still. Sting just seems like he he's that girl that just wants to date the bad boys, you know, and then when they, when they get in trouble, it's like, I didn't expect that to happen. Sting just needs to stay away from some of these people, and Lex Luger might be one of them. Unfortunately, Sting doesn't uh, heed that warning, <laughs> so this goes on for quite a while. And we finish up the show. It's another promo in the ring. It's the giant Jimmy Hart, Kevin Sullivan. Mean Gene's back this week, so he's in the ring now. And he says the giant is not the champion. But Jimmy Hart corrects Mean Gene. Jimmy Hart pulls out a contract. Hart was the power of attorney for Hogan to sign matches. Jimmy Hart signed the contract that Hogan was off at the beach. Hart shows the contract, and it says that if Hulk Hogan had gotten disqualified at Halloween Havoc, he would lose the world title. So technically here... The Giant did win by disqualification, even if Jimmy Hart was the one that caused it. So the Giant is technically the world champion. So Cobra did get a world title match earlier on the show. Congratulations, Cobra. So this is legal and binding now. The Giant is the world heavyweight champion, but not for very long. And out comes WCW legal, Nick Lambros. And Mean Gene had him on speed dial here because he calls him right out and he's out to the ring, even though Mean Gene didn't know anything about this 30 seconds prior before Jimmy Hart pulled out the contract. Seems a little bit of like a plot hole there for me, but... Nick Lambros comes out, an attorney for WCW. He reads a ruling from Nick Bockwinkel, who never seems to be able to make it to WCW Nitro. Uh, Bockwinkel uh, apparently stated that due to the nature of the finish of the Halloween Havoc match, where Jimmy Hart intentionally got Hogan disqualified, the title is being vacated. It's held up, pending the winner of the World War III Battle Royal. So that was a decent way to get the World War III Battle Royal over anyway in the pay-per-view over. Pretty wise there. Uh, but Kevin Sullivan reluctantly finally agrees to have the Giant turn the belt over if the Giant originally reluctantly doesn't want to do it. Uh, Sullivan points out that nobody can eliminate the Giant from the Battle Royals, so the Giant's going to get the title back anyway. Segment went a little long to describe all this, I thought, but I thought it was decent for what it was trying to accomplish. Oh, man. So <laughs> I'm with you. Like, If it would have stopped with Jimmy Hart saying he's the power of attorney, he wasn't, it was funny. He said, while Hogan's out making movies that go to straight to the video store before they hit the silver screen and doing all the charity work with Savage. 
I think if they would have stopped right there and let Giant have the title for a week, uh, I would have really, really enjoyed this segment a whole lot more. But the fact that they had Nick Lambros right there. So what you're telling me is WCW let this contract go through knowing that it was shitty and that Jimmy Hart set it up and they let it go through a Halloween Havoc even though they knew there's a possibility that this could happen because Jimmy was the one who signed it. Ain't it funny, though, He Hogan had somebody doing his signings even back in 95? Hmm. Oh, I'm sure anyway. Hogan, Hogan had <laughs> Beefcake signing his autograph in the 80s, I have no doubt. So, yeah, Hogan's probably um, never anyway, actually signed but, a contract himself, except for when the money was on the line, um, brother. I just felt like they should have let this stew. I mean, World War Three is a few weeks away. You don't need to give it the title match right away. I, I thought the Giants should at least kept it. And then, you know, you can do some footage at your – your offices and have them, you know, boardroom talk, kind of like what WWF was doing a little bit, and then come to a conclusion, even get your damn commissioner out there to make the statement instead of a legal department guy. Uh, I just felt like it was very rushed, and it kind of took away from it. Like I said, I really like the power of attorney aspect of it, and them giving the belt to the giant and actually calling him the champion, but everything after that just kind of flattened it and made it shitty. Well, I do agree that this felt rushed. I also, though, I do like that they're trying to set this up weeks out from the pay-per-view in order to give time to build to a 60 men going for the world title shot. I like all of that. I feel like the power of attorney stuff should have been explained last Monday on Nitro, and I feel like maybe they didn't come up with the idea until after that, which is why last week was so flat, because it seems like something they would have pointed out last week when they were claiming the Giant was champion and people were saying, no, he wasn't. So it just feels like that's something they came up with over the course of the week. And so it just got lumped into the you know whole show all together here. Basically doing two separate weeks of storylines all in one promo is what it felt like to me anyway. It just took away from it for me. No, I mean, I, I get it. It was very rushed uh, lumping this all together like that. So I must ask, what's your segment of the night here for Nitro this week? Uh, I thought Eddie and Benoit was a really good match. Um, but I was, I was more entertained with Sting and Flair and then the, the aftermath with Lex Luger. I was actually, I actually, they actually do a really good job of this Sting and Luger stuff, even though it lasts a long time. Heck, I think it even lasts until the NWO comes in and it never really gets a payoff. I was always intrigued with it because I thought they did a lot of little things to keep it going, but it wasn't like overly featured. You know, they go a couple weeks without doing anything, and all of a sudden they do some more with it, and, and pay-per-views do things, and just little stuff. It, it's not like a segment. It's just, oh, Luger did this, or Sting did that. And I, I was always intrigued by it, and I wish we got the payoff, but we never really got it. So I, I like the Sting and Flair stuff with the Luger thing added in at the end. Yeah, I mean, I, I put three things on here, and I was kind of debating, because I really like the Eddie Guerrero-Benoit match again. It was really solid. I thought Sting and Flair was really good, because it's Sting and Flair. And then I even lumped the world title announcement into here only because it was kind of impactful to me. I, I enjoyed both parts of it. I just didn't enjoy them lumped together. So that's definitely not the segment of the night for me. And really, Nitro's never really hitting home runs with these promos. These promos aren't necessarily a Stone Cold Steve Austin or a rock segment. So they're not really, you know, a segment of the night for me. It was a real toss-up for obviously different reasons here. Sting and Flair, Eddie and Benoit. I think I leaned towards Eddie and Benoit, even though the announcing wasn't great. I thought the wrestling was second to none. The finish was a little flat for me with the Benoit with his feet under the rope. So that's kind of why I want to lean back towards Sting and Flair. And there's a lot of heat there. So maybe I'm flip-flopping. 
as I'm writing, as I'm saying this, maybe I'm flip-flopping. I think I, I, I will go Sting and Flair here. Maybe Eddie and Benoit had the better wrestling match, but Sting and Flair told the better story, and, and certainly the crowd was really hot. So, yeah, I, I think yeah. I'll go Sting and Flair. And I, th- I think if the commentary and just, you know, not the Japanese stuff in the middle of the match, and, you know, if it was presented to where we should care about this match, it had been be- Ed, Eddie and Benoit probably hands down, but if the commentary and stuff, they don't give a crap, then why the heck should we? So, Oh, and I should note that next week on Nitro, it's and we know these matches take place because they were actually recorded before this show aired, it's uh, Sting taking on Dean Malenko, so that should be fun. Eddie Guerrero meets Johnny B. Bad, and so that might explain why Johnny B. Bad was all sweaty during the, uh, the the locker room segment. And Randy Savage returns to take on Ming. So even though Savage uh, is still sporting that injured elbow, he's coming back for these nonsensical, unimportant matches like this here against Haku. I don't understand the point of this. I, I, it's probably Macho Man insisting that he needs to be on these shows, but somebody needs to step in and tell him, you know, he's not doing himself any good. Get him back on the show with a promo or, or maybe an angle. Uh, keep him out of the ring as far as doing these matches go. But it's not like Macho's going to listen to anyone. No, nah, he's going to do what he wants. And we're going to finish up this episode with another episode of WWF Raw is Taped. Once again, taped back on October 23rd from Brandon Manitoba. This week, though, it's November 6th, so we're about the third week of taping here from this uh, set of tapings here of WWF Monday Night Raw. And the opening recaps the Ahmed Johnson slamming Yokozuna segment from last week. And uh, absolutely great way to kick off the show because if you missed it last week, you needed to see it. And if you saw it last week, you needed to see it again. So (laughs) I I was so happy that they actually opened the show with it instead of building to it or waiting for the tape to arrive anyway. And this week it's it's hosted by Vince McMahon and Doc Hendricks, one of your favorite TV show hosts and announcers. And he's subbing for Jerry Lawler, who's wrestling here later on in the show. I can't get away from this guy. Well. <laughs> he even does that shit on commentary before he's about to say a sentence. Well, and then he goes right into his sentence. I'm like, come on, dude. Quit trying to get yourself over. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he can help it. He was even part of he this can. NXT NXT Halloween Havoc stuff. And as soon as, ago, it, so. <laughs> as soon as as soon as that shit aired, he sent out a tweet. <laughs> How did you like that cameo? Like, dude, it's not about you anymore. Get out of here. <laughs> So we kicked Raw off with a British Bulldog versus Marty Jannetty match. This goes back to the Battle Royal. Bulldog kind of helped Owen Hart get the win over Marty Jannetty there. And then last week, Jannetty shows up, attacks Bulldog from behind, and kind of a receipt. So now we have a match one-on-one. Good back-and-forth match again this week on Raw, like we saw last week with Savio and Goldust, and and later on in the show with the, the main event there. Plenty of time. Again, these guys were given just like Owen and Razor last week, I thought. Bulldog showcasing his strength spots. Jannetty, fun on the offense. Hits a somersault diamond cutter off the middle rope. It wasn't really pretty, but it was just innovative for the time. And Marty's trying to, you know, up his game here. Jannetty goes for a fist drop, but Bulldog rolls out of the way. So Marty lands on his feet and nails a DDT on the Bulldog instead. Jannetty goes for the cover, gets a two count before Bulldog gets his foot on the ropes. Marty sends Bulldog into the corner, rushes in. Davy Boy out of the way. Marty goes shoulder first into the ring post. Bulldog hits the running power slam, gets the win in about 12 minutes. Decent match, I thought. Yeah, the one issue I have with this is there's way too many rest holds from the Bulldogs, lots of chin locks. Um, I was like, I even put it down here, or it must have watched a lot of Bulldog from 95 and 96 because it, it felt like a lot of – the offense in between the moves was really good. Like these right. guys, 
Bulldog's definitely athletic, and he can do some things to match Marty Jannetty's athleticism. You know, he can do kip-ups and the, that rolling flip thing that he likes to do. He's not really doing those things anymore because he's a heel, and you got to get away from those things. But uh, just some really cool spots, different unique spots. I know Marty did, like, a baseball slide in the middle, like, through his legs. And it, it was just really – it was a really fun match outside of the rest holds. Good stuff. Yeah, and also during this match, Clarence Mason uh, is on a pre-tape there, or at least um, in an insert promo. He comments that Davy Boy Smith would uh, wind up challenging the winner of the WWF World Title match at Survivor Series. He would end up taking them on at the December In Your House pay-per-view. So Davy Boy is already being announced for the main event World Title match for the December In Your House against either Brett or Diesel, whoever walks out of Survivor Series with the gold. thought that was a nice touch, and you, you already know what the main event, or at least half of the main event for your next pay-per-view is. I like that they have their challengers lining up here. Yeah, back when Vince could make his mind up and get from point A to point B without forgetting what he's doing at point C or, you know, you know the deal. You forget what point A was. So um, definitely continuity and just continued, you know, just focusing on booking. We get a pre-tape of the fake Bill Clinton, the imposter Bill Clinton at the time. He's very popular. He was on a lot of shows basically playing Bill Clinton, uh, the character. Uh, Clinton, of course, was president at the time. He's standing beside the Washington Monument saying he would be on hand for the Survivor Series. My question here was why, but really I don't want an answer to that because the less said about this, the better. But Vince just loved this guy. He used this guy two or three times and on pay-per-views, no less. I can't imagine what he paid this guy to appear. Hard selling. <laughs> it's <Trash>. promo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's uh that's one way to sum it up in one word. Trash. And here's more trash, or at least Doc Hendricks. And it's Doc Hendricks, because Jerry Lawler's wrestling. So we get Doc Hendricks conducting an interview here at ringside with Davy Boy Smith and Jim Cornette after Bulldog just got the win. And this right here they're discussing Davy Boy's upcoming world title match. It's already been announced, as I pointed out, with either Diesel or Brett in December, and they also discussed the wild card match at Survivor Series, just a basic typical promo here from Smith and Cornette. It's uh, to the backstage for their little comedy segment of the week. I don't know that it's, maybe maybe that's the wrong term to use, but it's Bret Hart trying to speak to Hakushi, and he's trying to learn his language. He's telling me, Ichiban, they'll be an Ichiban, number one, if they team up, when they team up here tonight in the tag team main event, it's Bret and Hakushi taking on Lawler and Isaac Yankum. Uh, but Barry Horowitz is in the locker room here, and he's basically trying to play translator for Brett to Hakushi, which makes no sense to me. Uh, I thought this segment was pointless. I kind of skimmed through it because it's just sad what they did to Hakushi. <laughs> he deserved way better than what he got. We're also treated, and I use that term loosely, to footage from WWF superstars. Goldust, as a guest on King's Court, He's interrupted by Bam Bam Bigelow. Bigelow steps in and basically says he doesn't know who or what Goldust is, but he basically challenges him to a match at the Survivor Series, and that's basically how that gets set up, I guess. Uh, not much to it. It almost felt a little homophobic, like Bam Bam was going to teach him for being, you know, androgynous or, or whatever you want to call him here. Bizarre. Yeah, bizarre is the word they love to shove down your throat for Goldust, but yeah, I didn't. I never really remember seeing that superstar segment and I don't remember raw showing the highlights of it. it. It just gives it a little meaning behind the match. It just wasn't something that was thrown together. At least Bam Bam challenged him. 
Yeah, I don't remember seeing a whole lot of Superstars clips on Monday Night Raw here by 1995, especially since we're basically at the tail end of the, the syndicated run of Superstars and, and wrestling challenges gone by the wayside. As we knew them, they're gone by the wayside. They're changing formats. Of course, Challenge would go on to be on Slam Jam and things like that. Anyways, uh, we continue with this show and we get more clips from Superstars. It's footage from two weeks ago. WWE Superstars, a confrontation between Henry Godwin and Triple H. Hunter Selmsley, Godwin's in a squash match. Triple H out at ringside spraying his perfume or cologne or whatever that is. He doesn't want to get near the hog man. Uh, it was announced during this match that Godwin would face Triple H the following week on Raw. This match is Henry Godwin, a squash match taking on Terry Richards, the future Rhino. Also worked as Rhino Richards back then here on WWF Monday Night Raw. And like I said, it's a squash match. Godwin beats Rhino here with a slob drop in just two minutes, five seconds. And after the bout, Godwin went to slop Richards, but he's attacked from behind by Triple H instead. And Helmsley drops Godwin on the ground outside and then puts on a pair of white gloves, of course, because he's not going to handle the slop bucket with his bare hands, but proceeds to dump the slop all over the back of Godwin's head. We now have Triple H and Henry Godwin feuding, so it will only be a matter of weeks before we wind up in a hog pen somewhere. Yeah, I thought this was pretty good. Richards, man, there's there's no way you can't you not know that's Rhino based off his this dude's legs. <laughs> Dude has massive legs, man. They're so humongous. Yeah, and his hands but, come uh, down come down to you know underneath his chest to his dinosaur arms. So yeah, definitely. yeah, uh, definitely Rhino. Triple H's facial expressions here when he's putting on his gloves, like he's doing it real slow. Then he picks up the slot bucket with like his index and thumb. And dumps it on him. Uh, he has he has no desire to be messing with any of this, but he does it anyway. I thought this was like a really really good gimmick, and this is a great feud for that gimmick. Yeah, because he is that rich stuck up type who doesn't want to deal with anything that causes him to look bad, and he's putting himself in these situations. And theoretically, it should get him some some heat because. He, People want to see this happen to a guy like him. So I thought that last, and he, he dropped him with a pedigree on the outside, which is pretty cool. But, oh, um, right, right. I forgot yeah. to mention that. That's how he laid him out, right? Yeah, yeah. before he dumped the slap on him. Yeah, so it was, it was a really nice after the match tussle there between Hunter and Godwin. It wasn't really a tussle, but a nice little angle there between Hunter and uh, Godwin there. Yeah, Good I stuff. think they just kind of fell into each other. You know, the, the right place at the right time, and the gimmicks just matched up perfectly for uh, – a feud like this so yeah, i'm glad we got it i mean as silly as it sounds with the hog pin and, and all that nonsense it just it, it played out really well given what was going on slop buckets and pigs and things it just it worked believe it or not absolutely it's time for the survivor series slam jam and since doc is on commentary we get todd pettengill here hyping up the pay-per-view and he announces the dark side team the returning undertaker along with fatu Henry Godwin and Savio Vega will take on the Royals, led by King Mabel, along with Jerry Lawler, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, and Isaac Yankum. And a wise move by Mabel keeping Mo out of the match. Kudos to Mabel there for being that wise. And we actually get our vignette of The Undertaker. Though we don't see his face, he kind of has his back turned to us, or at least his head turned away from the camera because we won't see The Undertaker until Survivor Series. Paul Bear basically talks about The Undertaker returning at Survivor Series, and Mabel is in trouble. And last week, we heard pre-taped comments from Brett the Hitman Hart in regards to wrestling Diesel and the no disqualification, no time limit match in Survivor Series. This week, it's Diesel's turn. Uh, nothing to report here from me. Do you have anything to add in regards to the Survivor Series Slam Jam? Diesel just sound like he gave two shits. Like, so <laughs> melodramatic and uncaring. Well, I wonder why. Felt like so flat. So flat. <laughs> He's losing the belt. But, uh... <laughs> 
yeah, just, I don't know. Terrible. Yeah, the experiment is coming to an end, and he knows it, and he's probably worried that he's never going to get that opportunity again after a year-long run of dismal <laughs> ratings and, and ticket sales. So, yeah, but Diesel is taking on Brett at Survivor Series. A good match. Uh, I look forward to watching that. I'm going to probably actually watch that match before we uh, cover the Raw that follows. But uh, we move on with this episode of Raw. And it's Kama, who we haven't seen in, I don't even know, the last time we saw him. I thought he was out after SummerSlam or something like that. But Kama's back, and it's Ted DiBiase down there. Kama versus Tony Roy in another squash match. Barry Dodinsky's at ringside. He dumps a thousand pogs, or as he calls them, madcaps, onto the apron of the ring. He's selling madcaps here, a thousand of them. WWF madcaps, of course. Barry Dodinsky, man, just... He was on the payroll. Not the best uh, salesman in the world, but... I just thought that was the epitome of this match. Comma in a match with Pogs on the apron. That says it all. And then the finish. Do you remember the finish to this match, Steve? It's like a big right hand. Uh, yeah, a, a punch the to the was, face. Was, You're making it sound better than yeah. it was. He just stands him there and then just punches him in the face. The, this match well, was he's terrible. A boxer. He's the he's, supreme body machine. The, the best part about this match is the fact that Shawn Michaels was on the phone the entire time. So... I wasn't even paying attention to the match. I was just listening to Sean talk, to be honest with you. Yeah, Sean calls in, and he talks the wild card match, talks about returning this week to the house shows, and he discusses even uh, Brett and Diesel going for the world title at Survivor Series. So Sean basically eats up this entire match on the on the phone, which is a good thing, kind of like he did with that yeah. terrible Dean Douglas match a couple weeks ago. But Kama gets the win over Tony Roy here with a punch to the face in three minutes and 12 <laughs> seconds. And I, for one, there can't wait some, for Kama to be gone. Yeah, there, there are some interesting things that were said during the uh, interview. Sean, Vince says he was in Cincinnati when Sean came back, and he looked good in the ring, but he also felt – Vince says Sean looked a little disoriented after the match. So they're kind of planting the seeds that is, uh, like, you know, of what's coming. We all know the what's collapse. coming. Yes. Uh, yeah, so they're kind of planting the seeds there with that. Other than that, that was, pretty, that was really the only thing of substance that was worth listening to in the phone call. Next week on Raw, it's Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon defending against Psycho Sid with the one 2 3 kid as the guest referee and the added stipulation that the title, the Intercontinental title, can change hands on a disqualification or a countout. Who the hell makes these rules? Who the hell says, let's get the one 2 3 kid out here and make him a referee? In his buddy's match, defending the title against Sid. It sounds like, on paper, all the odds are stacked against Sid. Doesn't sound fair to begin with. I don't know what Gorilla Monsoon was smoking this week, signing this match. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind that. I don't know why he chose the kid to be the ref. Like, well, what's the point of that? I mean, yeah, it didn't make no sense to me there. And then, and then cha- adding the rules like it can change on a DQ or a countout. That, that's, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> And it's more Milton Bradley karate fighters this week as Billy Gunn takes on Bart Gunn. Of course, Billy Gunn gets the win here as he would in real life as far as the uh, the talent goes. <laughs> Billy Gunn beats Bart Gunn, karate fighters showdown. And it's on to the main event of the show. It's Jerry Lawler and Isaac Yankum taking on Bret Hart and Akushi, accompanied by Barry Horowitz. Did you ever think you'd see Barry Horowitz play the manager, or at least the second, to Bret Hart? Just it looks so funny watching Barry Horowitz come to ringside. Poor Brett. He walked about 10 feet in front of him. Almost like you, when you were a kid, maybe in your tweens or, or teens, and you're going somewhere with your parents, and you, you try to get ahead of him, walk maybe 10, 15 feet ahead of him. So I'm not with them. Maybe that embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely possible. Hard telling what Brett's thinking there. Hard telling. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote that in my notes. What was? I wonder what Brett was thinking during this entrance. 
as he comes. And, and no knock on Hakushi. It would be a great tag team. Throwing that Barry oh, yeah. Horowitz dynamic in, just silly. And it just felt so such a downgrade for Brett. I don't know he, if he's ever been in a position like this, but I thought the speed was over. I don't even know if it's necessarily a downgrade. It's like who the hell? Who the hell else are they going to put in there with him? Like people that we've seen maybe two or three weeks ago aren't even here anymore. So I, I don't know who you could even throw in there to even be his partner. I have no idea. No, oh, yeah, yeah, but you have a great point with with Taker legitimately out, Shawn Michaels legitimately out. At least when this was recorded, Diesel really has no position to be in this match. He's going up against Brett. Yeah, there's there's really nobody left. It's almost like WCW. They've turned so many people heel. They have no baby faces left, barely. And here in and here in WWF, they just they just have a shortage of wrestlers. Uh, with a couple of them out with injuries. Yeah, at least Hakushi has some sort of history with Bret Hart. I know they feuded earlier on in the year, but Hakushi's made that turn and. He even has history with Lawler as far as helping Lawler out or causing Lawler a match and things like that by messing up. So it did make sense. It wasn't just thrown together. I think the biggest issue here is Barry Horowitz. I mean, yeah, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Hakushi's just, he's so low level right now that him with Hart doesn't make any sense. If this happened four months prior, it probably would have been fine. But yeah, Barry Horowitz ruined it. And I had thought this Hart versus Lawler and Yankum feud was over. In fact, that's what the Melts told me in the Observer's that we that I covered in the last episode of Monday Warfare. So the melts made me into a liar. So I will apologize on behalf of myself and apologize for the melts who never really apologizes. So I apologize, people. I thought we were done seeing Hart in the ring with Lawler and Yankum. Apparently the cage match wasn't the end. Maybe this is the end, which is a terrible way to go, by the way, if this is indeed the end. The heels get heat on Hakushi. Brett gets the hot tag. He comes in, winds up with a sharpshooter on Isaac Yankum. Tim White, the referee's back, is turned. So Lawler gets in the ring with a chair. He's going to try to use the chair to whack Bret Hart from behind in the sharpshooter. But Barry Horowitz slides in, and he, and he intercepts the chair, grabs the chair away from Lawler, swings it wildly at Lawler, and the referee turns around just in time to catch Barry Horowitz in the ring with this plastic chair and calls for the disqualification. And I wrote, are you shitting me? That Bret Hart and Hakushi can't beat a commentator and a guy who just jobbed to Bret a couple weeks ago? In a tag team match, uh, match goes 13 minutes. Brett and Hakushi are disqualified. Lawler and Yankum get the win on disqualification. What did you think of the finish of this? Uh, shit finish. It was horrible. The match is really good, to be honest with you. Hakushi held his own. Um, they worked the back of Hakushi, and the hot tag was good because Brett got the hot tag. He came in, did his stuff. And it looked like they was just on their way to a clean, really good uh, finish. And then all of a sudden, this stupid shit. And, like, Tim White DQ'd him immediately. As soon as he turned around, oh, DQ. He essentially got DQ'd for just standing in the ring with a chair in his hand. Brett clearly had Yankum in the sharpshooter. Lawler was leaving the ring, and you DQ'd the guy for just standing in the ring. Well, you can't enter the ring, the much, less, much less with a weapon like that. So I don't necessarily completely blame Tim White there. However, I, I do get what you're saying. And I just I don't understand what was the need to protect Lawler and Yankum against Bret They're Hart. Both no on their way. Yeah, it makes no sense. Bret's about to go fight for the title, and you're going to DQ him out? Like, come on, trash. Yeah, I I really didn't understand the booking here. In fact, going into the show, I really didn't remember this episode. I didn't know the finish. I just automatically assumed Bret and Hakusha were going over here. So when this happened, totally caught me off guard skimming the, the observer and i saw the results i'm like lawler and yankum win by dq are you sh- I, gotta, I gotta see this I, I don't remember this and i was like oh 
just it's one of those shake your head type moments. Yeah, it just made no sense to me. And then we close up Raw with actually footage from next week because it's taped and they're giving away that it's taped. Uh, I know that's something you said you didn't necessarily mind. I question it. I don't know that I want to know that things are recorded. At least you're telling me you can tell me this week who wins this and who wins that, but you're not going to. I'm going to wait a week for something that's already clearly happened. So I'm not a big fan of this, but they seem to think it was going to sell. You know, obviously I get the idea. Well, if we can sell these matches now, Maybe people will tune in next week. And, of course, the big selling points here is, will Triple H be slopped as he takes on Henry Godwin and will Sid walk out uh, with the Intercontinental Gold? So those are the big selling points for next week's episode of Raw. And we get a couple more pretty decent matches as far as name value goes anyway. So Raw's kind of upgrading, going to maybe two main event type matches per week the last few weeks ever since they've kind of gotten here against Nitro. Yeah, they're definitely doing an improvement. You can clearly tell they know they got they got a battle on their hands and they're definitely doing what they have to do to to uh, elevate their game. They just need more talent and it's coming. And it's time for the segment of the night, Steve. Who do you got? We had that tag team main event, which you said was pretty decent. And then we also had Bulldog and Gennetti on this show. Who were you taking? I put down here the tag match. I didn't like the finish at all, but the overall match itself was pretty good. Yankum did fine. Hakushi has some, off, some really good offense. Brett was Brett. The Bulldog-Marty match was solid, but it just felt like a lot of rest holds too I much did. for me. Mm-hmm. I, was like, I was like, just come on, come on. So I kind of just skimmed through the rest holds to get to the next action, uh, to be honest with you. But this whole show was very lackluster. Yeah, it's kind of was... like that first night when we watched. Right. I think it was maybe a little better than that, but yeah, I get what you're saying here. Well, yeah, yeah, probably some decent that, matches but here, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, and for me, I, I went with Bulldog versus Gennetti, and maybe with fresh eyes, I may have went with the tag main event as well like you did. I just couldn't because I took notes on this match. I, I reviewed this show not too long after I watched the Cage show, and by that point, I was just jaded and skewed and burned out of Isaac Yankum uh, specifically, but even Bret Hart versus Isaac Yankum. So maybe I didn't give that this tag match you know, the, the credit it deserves, or at least if I had had fresh eyes, maybe I would have I went that route because Hakushi, I agree with you. Hakushi did do a good job in it, but I'm going Bulldog and Gennetti here. I'm sticking with this one. I'm not flip-flopping again, only because when I watched this, it was shortly after I watched the cage match, and I was just done watching Isaac Yankum in my Raw main events. So I had to go Bulldog and Gennetti here. But I, I also agree with you. I could see why, why you would pick that tag match. I just love Hakushi, and I know he's almost gone here, which is unfortunate. And the ratings are in. And once again, WCW Monday Nitro beats Raw in the ratings two weeks in a row. May even be more. I have to go back and check. But they beat Raw again here this week. 2.3 rating with a 3.2 share. Raw with a 2.1 rating and a 3.0 share. And if you're paying attention, these numbers are declining on both sides. Uh, The Raw number is the lowest Raw rating in more than a year. And the Nitro number is only average for what Money Nitro has been putting on. And with a Sting and Flair headliner, average can't be considered as a positive. Although WCW will take it because they clearly need it right now. And uh, they did beat Raw, so I guess you really can't complain at the end of the day. It was, however, and I noticed this without even doing any research, just based on the numbers, uh, it was the lowest total wrestling audience on a Monday since this entire war began. Uh, You look at the ratings, you look at the share, the share combined for a 6.2. It's been averaging at least around a 7 so they've lost almost an entire percent of their audience here this week. It's unfortunate. You know, Nitro was much better this week than last week. Yeah. And I, I feel like, too, Raw, 
really hurts themselves by filming three weeks in a, at a time. Three, I get four weeks saving at money a time. and cost and things like that. This yeah, I get that saving mm-hmm. cost and, and things like that. But if the ratings are tanking and it's only the second week of a four-week taping, hopefully you, you just got to hope to God what you did in those three the weeks three and four taping hours is going to be good enough to get those ratings back up. Because if not, it can free fall. And like we've said, we said it earlier this show, it's so much harder to regain an audience than it is to lose it. So uh, they're kind of pigeonholing themselves and leaving themselves very little room for error. It's just interesting. I'm interested to see how they turn things around and actually get that audience back up. Like, well, week over week progress, I should say. Yeah, and there's always turns around, but yeah, and we always have to take into consideration uh, what was the Monday night game that week, um, what else was going on that week, I guess, or it could just be a bad week. I mean, that happens. It doesn't happen so much later on in the boom period, but it's it happens no. here from time to time here, ninety five and and ninety six. So not a drastic drop, but certainly a big enough drop to make it noticeable. And so I'm curious to see what Nitro does to try to turn this around. But both shows are taped next week is the issue. Neither one of these guys can really capitalize. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but try to turn things around next week for their company. Nitro recorded their show for the first time ever net for next week. And Raw, of course, as we we just saw clips here, Raw's already taped as well. Both shows taped next week, so it's going to... I haven't read ahead. I don't know what the ratings are. I'm curious to see how that one shakes out for both Raw and Nitro. Same here. I'm really, I'm really enjoying this format and uh, the segment of the weeks and things. This is really good stuff. So ratings winner here, Steve, this week. Obviously, I get again, Nitro beat Raw in the real ratings, but who's your real winner here, Nitro or Raw? I'm going to go with the fans on this one. Uh, those 3.2 share that was hanging out watching Nitro on November 6th, that's who I'm going with. It's hard to beat Sting and Flair and Eddie and Benoit. And uh, since we watched Nitro first, uh, that's kind of what was stuck out. But even if I watched it second, I mean, there's nothing on the Raw show that's going to top that. So definitely Nitro. Yeah, a couple of okay matches on Raw. Uh, nothing really popped out as, uh, you know, over the top or really quality. And I'm not trying to slight some guys like Brett or Hakushi or Bulldog versus Marty was okay too. Like I said, I, I chose it as my segment of the night. It was not on the level of Guerrero and Benoit and not even on the level of Sting and Flair. And the fans were just really hot there too. Uh, and that was the second mm-hmm. hour of Nitro taping. So they're, I'm assuming they're going to be pretty hot for the uh, next week's episode too. So that should be fun. Yeah, so that's where we are. We're heading into the weekend uh, or the Monday of November 13th next uh, in the 20th. And so we're going to end up seeing the fallout, I believe, of the Survivor Series uh, on the next episode of Monday Warfare as well. So that should be fun. Uh, Steve, I want to thank you once again for joining me for Monday Warfare. It's always a pleasure. We're in the month of December now. We're, 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 we're creeping up on Christmas already. We're creeping up on 2021. Uh, you, you know, some people will say they can't wait for two, <laughs> 2021 to get here with the way 2020's been, but uh, it's one of those things at this point, the only way you can go is up. That's what we're doing here on the WrestleCopia brand. We're moving up, so uh, be here with us. I can't wait to do some more of these. Maybe we can get you to do a Survivor Series watch along. You might be able to talk me into that. that. Fair is fair, you know, to quote the old Billie Jean movie. Fair is fair. I mean, we did a Halloween Havoc. Maybe we'll do Survivor Series 95. I remember enjoying that show. So uh, if if I, I, I if I remember hating Halloween Havoc and we had a good time with that, I, I would imagine Survivor Series would be even all the more fun, at least for me anyway. So uh, maybe that, maybe that's something we can plan on uh, and, and put that in there. 
before next week or maybe, you know, certainly before the holidays anyway. So yeah, I do want to encourage everybody. If you listen to this show, if you want to go back and, and rewatch Halloween Havoc as part of this episode of Monday Warfare, please do so. Go on over to our patreon.com slash account. Subscribe to the all access tier or any tier higher than the all access tier. And you can have all of our watch alongs, all of our power hour patron podcasts, uh, and all kinds of other things too, all kinds of other goodies, my show notes and, and things like that. So I want to thank everybody for listening, Steve. I want to thank you for joining me once again for Monday Warfare. We'll be back again next week with two more weeks of Nitro, two more weeks of Raw as we just continue on. This has been a blast, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah, absolutely. Me too, man. It's crazy. Like, it's just shotgun TV, and it's just all over the place, and I'm enjoying looking at it with a more critical eye and just talking wrestling with you. It's been a pleasure, man. Yeah, for everything I remember, there's something I forgot. And there's something I never noticed. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been a lot of fun, and I look forward to continue doing this week after week. So everybody, please stay tuned. Go check out the Wrestling Memory Grenade. Check out the Power Hour. Sign up for the Power Patron. If you don't, if you can't do the all-access tier right now, go listen to our podcast, uh, The Power Hour. Uh, certainly join us back here next week for more Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. 